Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, July 11th. Time for the Power Hour. We've got the team here from Pittsburgh Power. We've got Bruce and Pete and Leroy standing by. We'll hear from them, and then we'll get to your calls and questions. So line them up. We're going to open those phone lines right now. Start dialing 855-950-3835. We're going to jump right in and get started this morning. Bruce, you're first up on the board. Welcome back. Oh, you're the phone beat, too. Did you call for it? That's you, Bruce. Good morning. Okay. Well, good morning, Kevin. Hey, I think I got a new title. Okay. Whether it's a urologist or proctologist, because people call and say, I have a rear end question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, exactly. The majority of my calls I get are for rear ends. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a proctologist. Yes. Yeah. A proctologist. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, I had one had one this morning, you know, and his perfect gear turns out to be he's in, he's in Canada, hundred thousand pounds, and runs sixty two mile an hour with tall twenty two fives and a DD sixteen. Perfect gear turns out to be two sixty four again. Got it. Yeah, that works out good. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I don't really have a whole lot to talk about other than. Uh, the price of parts just keeps skyrocketing. Pete and I were talking this morning. I mean, it's just it's crazy how stuff is climbing. And hey, did we hear that ABF is thinking of filing bankruptcy for the third time? Is that true? Have you heard that? I didn't see that. I thought I scrolled Truck News yesterday and today. I haven't seen that though. That would um, boy, it's you know we got enough going on in the LTL union world. That would really be crazy. You know, UPS looks like yeah. they're they're certainly closer to a strike than we've been in a long, long time. Uh, this is something I used to watch closely when I had trucks at FedEx because this was they went on strike twice in the 90s and it was just insane what happened. Uh, since then, they've never really gotten close. Uh, this time they're pretty close. We're a little more than two weeks away from the deadline and I don't think they're even talking anymore. And the... I know they talk like this a lot, but the the Teamsters leader says a strike with UPS is now inevitable, but we'll see. Yellow could file for bankruptcy and go out any time, but I did see this morning their creditors are now giving them more time to negotiate with the union. Uh, but if we throw ABF wow. in the mix, things could really get ugly in the LTL world. Oh, yeah. Opens it up for... Owner-operators of the whole LTL. Yeah, it's the the problem is we don't have a system for it. That's going to be the the real mm-hmm. issue. We just don't have a system. We don't yeah. that that freight's not accessible to these guys. That scheduling and you know most LTL has moved on cross dock stuff. Um, you know we've got that that's right that middle ground um, people that might do multi stop stuff furniture. There's a couple other commodities that mm-hmm. you do a lot of multi-stop, but I've never really considered that LTL. You know, that's the, that's the kind of stuff truckload guys can do, but even that's difficult. I mean, usually it's one pickup and maybe, you know, 10 to 15 deliveries, or, uh, but I don't consider that LTL. LTL is the stuff that gets yeah. moved on cross-stock operations over and over, and that, that stuff is tough to deal with. 
Yeah. Now, I like this stuff where you say you have a drop deck with a roll tarp and you put five different shipments on and head across the country. Yeah. And that's that's a nice paying freight. Yeah. Now, what, I wanted to ask you a question. Oh, yeah, go I ahead. Was, uh, I, I was at a boat club outing the other day and there was this female lawyer a year younger than me and retired and she, she was clueless and uh, needless to say she's a Biden fan <laughs> and I, I I said do you know back when Trump was president we had a shortage of trucks did you say there was 110,000 loads a day that were sitting oh no we got I don't remember how many loads were sitting but we went from Average daily loads being posted on just one load board. This was truckstop.com. A normal day was three or 400,000 loads total. And at one point, we got to 2 million a day to move. 2 million loads. 2 million loads and a day. And what is it now? I'll bet we're back to the... I, I don't work with Truckstop anymore, so I've got to go dig up these numbers myself now. But I'll bet we're back to the 300,000 number. Okay. All right. Another number. So I, that's all I had. Yeah, another okay, number I ahead. saw that kind of fits in with this, and I've been talking about it, the used truck prices. You know, a year ago I was telling people, do not do not buy one of these no matter yeah. what. You'd be better off to go rent a truck for a while. Uh, prices, model year 2021, um, those prices are down almost 22%. I mean, it's a huge drop in price. It, Trucks are cheap again. Yeah. Here's the other weird thing that I'm seeing, though. Um, most of the three-year-old trucks they sold in this May had 170,000 miles per year of service on them. That is a really wow. high number. We never used to get right. anywhere near that. I, I went back and looked. Mm -hmm. I forget what. I think it was 2019. No, 2018. The average truck, the average mileage then was 90,000 per year of service. So, you know, one of the things we watch is when do fleets turn over their trucks? Four to 600,000 miles is typical, but how many years does it take to get there? What, 90,000 miles, that's, you know, five years before you're really getting to that number. At 170,000 miles, it's not even three years. And what changed? I mean, that's an awful lot of miles to be putting on one truck in one year. Sure is. I mean, it with ELT. To me, 150, that, I know. Yeah. 150 was a lot. I, I would not ever want to drive 150,000 a year. You know, we. I, I, I think 80,000 80, is enough. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we've talked about Matt. Matt always worked hard. He does do those kind of numbers, 160,000 miles a year. So I think he may have done a little more than that. But that's really unusual yeah. for fleets to have that kind of mileage on, on a truck per year. You know, it's one thing they'll keep them yeah. longer sometimes just because they don't want to spend the money yet. But I've never seen a year where we put these kind of miles on. All right, let's uh, let's hear from. Uh, oh, I got to bring those guys in. Pete, Leroy, good morning. Good morning, Kevin. How are you doing today? Good. Who's up first today? I'll go first. All right. So I was going to talk about, I and mean, we've talked about this before, but the, the oil 
samples. And the reason I'm bringing it up is, you know, last week you had a customer call about an oil sample that, you know, appeared to be good, but he failed to mention he was putting a lot of oil in the truck. Right. Because he didn't feel the form correctly. Ooh. So when, you know, we get a bad sample, Eric from the shop will then call everyone and let them get, know what's going on. And there's a surprisingly number of people that aren't filling out the forms. You're leaving something blank and critical stuff. Yes. Um, without, and I'm not sure if they understand uh, what some of this means. So I was going to go over that. And, and, you know, people will say, well, they need to change it. And we agree, but they won't. It, right. So and just slabs deal with the form. Right. Deal yeah, with the form yeah, the exactly. way it is. So let me say this. You know, some, but luckily that guy called here and asked, but mm-hmm. the majority of people don't get through. They don't get to ask. We were able to catch that only through the conversation. I, I, I thought this was a good looking sample. Two problems happen when you're putting in that much oil and we don't know it. One, we should know it so we can talk to you about the condition of the engine and what you should be planning for. But two, it hides all the other problems in the oil sample because if you keep putting fresh oil in there, we don't see the contaminants. So it, so you, you guys offer an awesome service. You monitor this stuff for them. You can't call everybody. You call the people that have a problem. But if you didn't put this information, nobody ever knew there was a problem and they won't get the call. Right. Yeah, he would never... Of what's going on with his engine, trying to find the phone call from Eric because everything was good. Exactly. Right. You, you won't know that there's a problem. So, yeah, let, let's fill out the paperwork right. And I see enough of them. I don't see as many as Eric does, but I will see him. A guy will call and say, Hey, can you take a look at it? And, and you know, lube time, it's not filled out. And, and yes, it should say mileage on oil, um, but it doesn't. But that makes a huge difference because. You know, you have five on um, Lincoln at 15,000 miles is a whole hell of a lot different than at 60,000 miles. Yes. Yep. You know, know, um, lube time is how many miles are on the oil. Um, Unit time, how many miles are on the engine since it was rebuilt. Um, A lot of guys get that wrong. They'll put total miles on the truck and then rebuilt. Well, it was your first sample. After rebuild, of course, it's going to look bad. We've got all kind of crazy stuff going on, but <laughs> we don't know that. Um, right. You're not putting in lube added if they changed your filter. Um, it just it helps with the oil analysis. It helps us help them uh, by having all that filled out. I wonder if we should like make like a cheat sheet then with it. We, we do. So we have on our website. Oh, we do. Um, how to fill. There's actually even a video how to fill this out. Oh, wow. So. You know, they spend five minutes looking at the video. They can see right uh, the proper way to pull this out. And it's really not complicated. I will say the form makes it more confusing than it needs to be. The form, yes. you, we've all talked about this. That form could be improved in so many ways. There's so much wrong with that thing. And it does make it more complicated than it should be. And then they leave off simple things like, I have to ask everybody, what year is your truck? It matters. You know, an ISX isn't an ISX. Every year some, or every model can be different or have different issues that you want to look for. So I always have to ask that. And I shouldn't have to ask that. That should just be there. Right. 
All right. So that's, that's one thing. One other thing, like we were seeing um, a lot of bass being low, um, which seems to be a lot more common. A lot of guys can't extend the oil out far enough without adding bass. So, and we now carry the TPN booster, TBN booster oh, good. Um, uh, online. Good. So, you know, customers want to keep extending their drains but can't because of base, we now have a remedy for it by simply adding the, the booster and, and bringing the base up because we see that, I think, more so with the DD platform than anything else. Uh, yeah, I would, prob- I would probably say that too. And part of what happened isn't necessarily that these engines are using more base. In fact, if they're tuned right and spec right, they're probably using less base now. What's happening is the oil manufacturers are putting less in. We're starting with less because it's not as important as it used to be, but we still can't run these things out of base. I mean, it's got to be there. I see a lot of DD um, engines, so and I think the OEM allows them to go to 75,000 miles in oil changes, somewhere in that neighborhood. And at 25,000 miles, they're in the twos. Yeah, which, which is right. the, that's the bottom. To get any lower than that, we should be adding base again. And you're right. They they adjusted to the fact that we don't need as much base. They didn't adjust to the fact that we're doing longer drain intervals. They should have just left the base alone and we probably would have been fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we now have a remedy for it. So if, if someone needs base, we do have it at our good. shop. Good. That's good to know. All right. So when one other thing, did you see where Cummins, Daimler, Ford's General Motors, Toyota Truck Division um, agreed with CARB to have the trucks to be electric by 2036 in exchange for backing off some of the emissions for 2024? I saw a couple headlines. I didn't really read the details. Yeah, so they, they made an agreement. Hopefully, it's not a deal with the devil. Uh, but, it know, almost it always will, is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, placating them, like, yeah, 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 we'll, we'll, we'll yeah. do that. Just yeah. you know, give us what we want. In uh, 2034, like, yeah, we can't do that. Let's do this. Yeah, like, ah, oh, man, still can't yeah. do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You well, know, the, 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 the entire country, at least the East Coast, suffered from the Canadian forest fires. And the smog in New York City was so dense they had to close schools from the fire, which was on the west coast of Canada, right? And we're we're more concerned with some emissions from cars and trucks, but nobody talks about the forest fires. Uh, well, the whole Canadian for I thought they were more east, mid and east, but the crazy so thing. Um, but apparently they don't put them out. So unlike us who fight fires in the United States, they don't have the equipment, the manpower. So, and from what I read, a lot of it's so rugged territory that they don't even attempt to, they just let them burn out. Well, that's what we deal with here in the gorge. It, the, the, the terrain is so steep in here that many times they just have to wait and let the fire burn out. They can't get into that part of it. But the other thing that has been talked about a lot that these these massive forest fires that we experience are because we put our fires out. We don't allow, fire is a natural occurrence and it has a purpose and it burns up old forest and starts new forest and that's how things are supposed to work. We used to have a policy that if the forest fire started naturally, lightning, um, we would let it burn. 
And that takes care of that fuel load every now and then. But we've gone decades with putting out every fire that starts, and then that fuel load gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and then we have these forest fires that we can't put out. And that's the problem. So letting this stuff burn isn't a bad policy. We used to do that. If it's not endangering houses, it's just a natural fire, just let it go. And that's what Canada, you know, they will fight them when, when a, you know, structures right. get, get damaged. So I have a cousin that has a house in, in Golden, Colorado, and they had the forest fires a couple of years ago. And they were fortunate their house, you know, didn't get burnt down. They didn't know for days whether they had a house or not because they couldn't get to right. the area. The damage done to the house was insane. Like it wasn't burn damage, but like the uh, smoke and heat damage to windows, it exposed to all the windows had to replace. Um, they had chemicals come in from the fire, from the smoke that got into the insulation. They had to pull the insulation out of the house and get it replaced. Oh. <laughs> all the mattresses had to get replaced. Yeah. Even though their house, I mean, it was all around their house. Right. The house was covered in smoke, um, but the smoke damage was, I, I'm not sure if they would have been better off burning down their place. It sounds like it. Yeah, really does. Because uh, they would want to move back in. Oh, you can't. We need to change the carpet and the, the mattresses. They do that in the windows. Now it's the insulation they got to pull out. So now they're you know pulling out the walls to pull insulation out. And at that point, uh, it gets really expensive. You're right. You, you, you're almost better off just tearing the thing down and starting over. Yeah. Yeah. I never thought about the smoke damage to these houses right. uh, during the forest fires. Yeah, we've got a big one burning out here, but they're finally starting to get it under control. The wind died down for a couple of days, and I think yesterday they were at about 40% containment. For three or four days, they were just at zero. It just kept growing and growing. But I think the winds are coming Where? back now, too. Where is that, Kevin? Uh, that is across the river in Washington and about 20 miles east from us, White Salmon, Bingen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's re- our properties over there. We don't have any structures on our property, but it was, it was probably within 10 miles of our property over there. Wow. Okay. All right. Leroy, what's on your mind this week? Well, there was just something real quick I wanted to touch on. I got a, uh, a voicemail the other day uh, about a question, and I thought it was interesting enough that uh, I would say it on here, and I don't know if the guy's a listener or not, but I'll, still, I'll call you back probably later today. But his question was, can I measure a pyrometer probe, like the thermocouple, with a multimeter? And it's sort of an interesting question because it's like yes and no. So... Do you, do you know about how these thermocouple works, uh, I, Kevin? I don't. I wouldn't even know how to begin to test it with a multimeter. So it's actually pretty Let, let me ask you a question. Is a, is a thermal, you're talking about thermocouples, right? That's the part. Yes. Is that anything like a thermistor? Well, actually, no. So our thermistor is like a, like a resistor that will change resistance over... Um, as temperature cycles. So if it goes, let's say, for example, if the temperature is high, the thermistor will have more resistance uh, or less resistance, depending on how it's set up. That's how a thermistor works. But a thermocouple, it works off of the the Seebeck effect, which that is when you have two pieces of um, different metals, like dissimilar metals, right? 
And that's where you get like the K type and the, the what's the other types, Pete? I can't remember anything else that's K. There's like M yeah. and L and it's all these different thermocouples. So you have two different pieces of metal semi-close to each other. And as you introduce heat into one metal, it will actually cause electrons to flow from one to the other. And you get a very small microvolt or millivolt signal across the two wires that come back. So that's why generally it's best to test it with one of those pyro um, test machines. We have one in the shop here. But yeah, they're, they're really just small, really small voltages that are produced by electrons flowing from one piece of metal to the other when heat's introduced. Hmm. So when the guy asks, can you do it with a multimeter? Well, if you have one that is, is good enough that it can read microvolts, which is um, one millionth of a volt, and then I think millivolts is one thousandth of a volt. Um, I think it does get up into the millivolts, which most meters do, but it has to be pretty hot. You probably got to be around 900 or 1,000 degrees before you get a millivolt. But uh, yeah, so it's kind of an interesting question. I don't think anyone's ever really asked. Yeah, it's, uh, it is possible. Just probably yeah. have to, have, you'll probably score <laughs> on the meter than you buy the pyro tool. Yeah, so <laughs> generally when we have a pyrometer issue, we have a little box that we'll check. We disconnect the probe at the lead wire, you know, at the, at the engine, and then we'll set our box. So someone's in the cab, someone's holding the box, and when the pyrometer is at 300 in the cab, it needs to be within range. They have like little markings that okay, the um, it's good at 300 degrees, and you'd set check it at 600 degrees, and then 900 and 1200. Now, if it's off at any of those places, the next step is you then put the little box right at the uh, pyrometer head and see if it's accurate. Now, if it's accurate, then it means the lead wire's bad. Um, if they're both accurate, then at that point, we just replace the pyrometer probe. Right. And, and yeah, that's where the, the different types come from, is this different types of, of metal combinations. And I, I would assume that they're for different heat ranges, is what I would assume. Um, you could probably only get so much heat out of this, this K-type, and then like an L-type might read higher. But, yeah, it's... Uh, pretty interesting yeah it is hmm all right at least i thought so but yeah i'm kind of nerdy like so. true <laughs> right we'll excuse you for that i thought it was interesting yeah, yeah. but that's all that um, i have all right i'll say something about thermocouples thermocouples we use are hewitt pyrometers that are made out of southern california i've been to the plant um a lot of people do not want to put the thermocouple in the exhaust manifold because they hear rumors that they'll burn off and wipe out the turbo. In 47 years, we have never had a thermocouple burn off and wipe out a turbo. And if we're putting a pyrometer in the truck, we put it in the exhaust manifold, which is considered the hot side. The exhaust pipe side is 300 degrees cooler and the reading's not as accurate, so... And that's using the Hewitt brand thermocouple. You know, not we don't know about other right. thermocouples, but you know we've had such good success with the Hewitt brand. I mean, we just don't have a problem with them. They're they're phenomenal. Very good. All right, let's get to some phone calls. Let's get started in Alabama this morning. Jason, welcome to the program. Hey, good morning, Kevin. I had a uh, question about my numbers. I wanted to share them with you because I really don't have anything to compare them to. I don't know where I stand as far as the trucking community, whether I'm doing, uh, whether my numbers are okay or not. Okay. Let me ask you for your numbers and this will go faster. All right. 
Okay. Gross revenue per mile. What so, year? What, uh, first off, what time frame are we talking about? Uh, just for the last quarter. Okay, last quarter. And tell me a little bit about your operation. What segment? What kind of freight? That stuff. Yeah, so I uh, pull flatbed. I usually run uh, Midwest, South, Northeast, and uh, yeah, that's about it. I uh, pay 30% to the company I'm leased on to. And uh, my gross revenue for the quarter was, uh, it was around 54000 So my revenue per mile came out to uh, $2.34. Now that is after the carrier gets their 30%, correct? Correct, yeah. Okay. I always clarify that because I will have people give me the number before they give up the 30%, and we shouldn't even mess with that. That was never your money. Right. We don't, we don't call it an expense, we just don't show the revenue. So you're at two thirty four a mile. Um, that's strong. That's that's better, pretty significantly better than the spot market average. Now let me think. Flatbed, yeah, it's still still a strong rate for flatbed right now. So, what is your? Do you have everything broken down by expense? Like, do you know your fuel cost per mile? Uh, yeah, I got. So my fuel cost per mile came out to fifty five cents a mile. Okay. <clears throat> And equipment payments. And then, so my equipment is six fifty a month, um, but that's tied into my cost per mile, which came out to a dollar seventy. Okay, so a dollar seventy is total, right? That's everything. Truck yeah, payments, total is everything. Equipment payments, fuel, maintenance. How about are there any driver wages in that number? Nope. No, there is uh, so, my quarterly taxes that I did pay, though, in that number. Take that out of there. I'm not sure get, if get, I should have get, included get, that. Get that gotta, out of there. Okay, why is that? Because that's not a business expense. That That's after the fact. We always pay tax on profit, so we don't want to subtract tax from profit. It will just confuse everything. Okay. Yeah, so we, we keep tax out. We pay it on the profit, so it's it's after the fact. We want to know operational costs. And here's the other thing. Is there anything at all you can do for that tax to lower it? You can't. It's out of your control. It's just a percentage of your profit. So there's another reason not right. to track it. There's nothing we can do about it. You know, all of our business expenses, we track it so we know what we might change or do different to make things better. Do you have that number in front of you? How much of that $1.70 can I take off? Uh, uh, yeah, I don't. But it's actually comforting to know that because uh, that, that'll, that'll increase my profit per mile, which came out to $0.69 cents a mile. Which that kind of worries me. I mean, it, 69 cents, is, it's not that great. <laughs> it's not. It's, it's really not. And I was shocked at the, the cost without wages at $1.70. In fact, I'm trying to figure out where they came from. Your biggest cost is fuel. It's 55 cents. We could do a little better, but that's not horrible for flatbed. Um, but I just can't figure out how you're spending $1.70 a mile. Where's the rest of that money? What was maintenance? Do you remember? Uh, maintenance, maintenance came out to eight cents. Uh, uh, yeah, eight cents a mile. So one of the things, if you, if I were reviewing this with you, and I guess I am, um, I would say we need to look 
deeper. If you are consistently showing only eight cents a mile on maintenance, you've got a problem that you're, you're going to run into a problem. That's not enough. There's a certain amount of maintenance we should be spending just to keep the truck maintained, not waiting for things to break. And so maintenance can be weird because we're only looking at a quarter. So it's just possible you just didn't have many maintenance expenses in that quarter. So I would want to go back and look further. I would want to go back and look at the last 12 months. In 12 months, we should see that number almost double what you are. And that's just a good right. maintenance uh, a spending. It, when people spend too little on their truck, I get worried too. Uh, and again, I, I would need, Well, you know, I've I, been buying that. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was buying that uh, hot shot secret stuff and using that as a fuel additive to try to, you know, uh, do some preventative maintenance aside from my three trips and, you know, stuff like that. I mean, I really, I, I really don't know what else I could do, uh, you well, know, besides my pre trips and post trips and just taking care of my truck, you know, and nipping it in the butt whenever I have a problem. Well, um, no, see, you're waiting for problems. We, we, there's lots of things we could be okay. doing things like, uh, alignments, things like an OPS to lower maintenance cost, um, tuning a truck, using the catalyst. There are lots of things we could consider maintenance. But what I'm telling you is when maintenance cost drops uh, too low, there is going to be a problem in the future. That's what I can tell you. It, it, if you spend too little. Okay. Now, in order for me to know what you should be spending, I'd have to dig a lot deeper, um, which I don't mind doing. We won't do it on today's show, but if you call me on a Monday or a Thursday, we can right. spend more time. And then I need you to have all the numbers right in front of me. If your maintenance cost is only eight cents a mile and your fuel's 55, we're only at 63 cents with your two biggest costs. I don't know how we get to a dollar seventy. That's confusing me. Where the hell is the other big number? Yeah. Right? Lot, there's got to be some really big numbers in there that I'm not expecting. Like, I don't, I don't even know what to ask you that could have been that high. Yeah. Um, I mean, it could, be, it could be my taxes. I know I paid like 3500 for the quarter in taxes. Well, um, but I don't even, I'm not even sure that that's big enough to it's not, uh, compensate for that. It, it, I mean, what I did is not. I just took my... I took my gross revenue. I took my gross revenue and divided that by, you know, my, my, my total miles for the quarter. And I did that across the board with, you know, my fuel expenses, my maintenance Correct. expenses, right. the whole nine yards. And that's how I came up with, that's how I came up with so, those numbers. So, and all those numbers were spitted out to me uh, using my QuickBooks account. Well, no, they so, weren't. I mean, I just put, no, I put hold, the numbers hold, into my settlement. Hold on. Yeah. Go I'm going to correct something that, the numbers we're talking about right now were not put out by QuickBooks. I can guarantee it. The base numbers may have been what the I'm expenses, saying is, is a, but not the cost per mile calculations right. did not come out of QuickBooks. It's impossible. No, I took so, I took the base numbers and I divided right, so, it by the miles that right, I had. Which is the correct method, Sorry. but I it, not, it's not making sense yet. You know how, remember in school when you had, right. when, when there was math, you had to show your work. That's what uh-huh. I need. I need the work. I need to see right. the numbers no, because it's, it's not making sense. I don't know how we got to a dollar 70 here. The taxes certainly can't account for it. 3,500 isn't enough. 
it, it's almost like your expenses are double what I would expect them to be. Yeah. Well, you know, when I first when I first did it, and then I started I, messing around on the Excel, my maintenance you. expense came out to eighteen cents. I, Go ahead. That eighteen cents, I wouldn't even question. That that would be a normal number for maintenance that I wouldn't even question. But when I hear eight, there's a problem. And again, it's only one quarter, but I don't know the answer. I can't see it. Here's an idea. We right. offer a free 30-day trial on profit gauges, and you don't have to put in a credit card. We're not trying to get your credit card number and then make it hard to cancel. We don't play any of those games. You just go sign up. You know, I tried it already. Okay. I, I tried your trial, and, uh, you know, I like profit gauges. Uh, it's just, it, to me, you know, I, you know I, I, we spoke about it before. You know, I guess you were doing the same thing, you know, doing the QuickBooks with the Excel and all yeah, that yeah, stuff. Yeah, that was 25 and, years uh, it, ago, it, though. That, I was using QuickBooks and Excel <laughs> 25 years ago. That was a long time. <laughs> Right. And then I it's broke just hard for me to make that transition. We, yeah. But if, if you had, we'd be talking about stuff that would matter right now. Like right now, I, I'm lost. I don't know why your numbers look like this and you don't have your work in front of me. So you can't explain it to you. If we had QuickBooks, I would know or not QuickBooks, right, but I profit pages, I would know exactly what the numbers were. I could even go into your account and look at them. Ah, uh, OK. That might be something I didn't consider then that way, uh, is that, you know, I'm, I'm new to this and I'm just trying to, you know, uh, do whatever I can to cut my costs. So, I mean, I know I need to lower my deadhead miles, so especially me, if I'm at my cost per miles, dollar seventy. Wait, wait, Go ahead. wait a minute. We don't know yet that you need to lower your deadhead miles. I, I can't make that claim because I can't see the numbers yet. So I can tell you exactly right. you are doing three times more work than you need to be doing and you're not getting the numbers we should have. And I know that because I used QuickBooks for years. I know how much work it is. It's a lot more work to put your information into QuickBooks than after we put it into QuickBooks. We have to put out a profit and loss and we either have to go write an Excel spreadsheet to do the math for us, which we should do. Or you have to hand right. calculate it the way you did. The problem there is you could have made a mistake in your math and it will waste a ton of time trying to find it. So I know it's hard. To well, that's what I'm saying. System. I did it through QuickBooks. Hold, hold, hold on a second. But you then had to go calculate by hand and there could be a mistake. No, I it. calculated it through Excel. Go ahead. But there could be a mistake in a formula. You wrote right, the exactly. That's what I'm so saying. Now, I, I initially came up with 18 cents a mile for my maintenance. And then when I fixed something, it came out to eight cents. But you don't so know I what broke you it fixed. somewhere. You right. don't even know if you really fixed it. Right. All you know is that you changed it. The way to check it right. would be to grab your calculator and do the math on that cell and verify that the math right. is right. But you have to do that on every cell in the spreadsheet, which takes a long time. And then we have to transfer the numbers from QuickBooks into the spreadsheet, which takes a long time. It, it's so much easier if you would just yeah. learn how to use profit gauges, you would spend one quarter of the time and we'd have better numbers. Right. Yeah, I, I think I will. Uh, it, it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's bringing everything over. You like, know what it is? You Let know, me, when I did your 30-day trial, go just, ahead. It, it, here's exactly what this is. 
this is the hard work I talk about. It's not working hard. We all have right. to work hard. It's the hard work that people always want to skip. And that's what I'm hearing. Right. I know I tried it once. It was too much work. I couldn't figure it out. But instead, here we are with you doing four times as much work, hard work, but you're working hard on your accounting, but you're not doing the hard work. The hard work is to set up the better system. But those are the things we always want to skip. Yeah. That's why I say it at the end of every show. Do the hard work. I understand. Um, earlier last week, you, you you started to touch on it, and you, you just didn't dive into it. Um, you were talking about when you pay yourself, you know. Um, so I got a business account, and I pay myself. And really, I have it flip-flopped. I, you know, I'm paying my personal 70% and my business 30%. Well, so but then stop, at the end stop, of the day, stop, I'm stop, finding stop, stop. You have to explain that because I have no idea what that statement meant. What do you mean you're paying your okay. business seventy percent? Paying it seventy percent from what? No, I'm okay. So from from my profit after everything's paid and said and done for the week, when I get my settlement check, you know, I'm, I'm paying my I'm paying my taxes, and then after my taxes. I pay my personal 70% and then I leave 30% in my business account. And I understand it should be flip-flop the other way around. Hold on, hold on. I, I, I don't know that it should be. Where are you? I, I don't know where you're coming up with these rules. Like I think leaving 30% of profit back in the business. Now, all the business bills have been paid the way I'm understanding you. Even the taxes have been paid yep. and then you're still leaving 30% of the profit in the business. There is nothing wrong with that number at all. That's way better than oh, most people okay. are doing. Okay. 30% yeah. every right. week or every settlement is a significant amount of money. You should be sitting on quite a bit of cash. Right. Well, I'm not, you know, well, well, and that, so, that was, so that's what then. profit is. How, how, how long have you been claiming that you're putting 30% of the profit aside. How long have you been doing that? Um, for six months. There should be tens of thousands of dollars there. Right. Well, when I'm, you know, when I have a short week or whatever, or I'm in what, a bad zone wait, 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 and wait, I, wait, I didn't stop, bring enough stop, gross stop. revenue. It, Jason, uh -huh. this will go much faster. As soon as you hear me say, stop, just stop talking. I can get us to the right answers way faster than you will if, if you just keep talking. And I want to get to these answers. Let me say this. This isn't a call that I should have taken on today's show. I, and now I'm kind of regretting it. I thought I could get through this pretty quick. It was numbers. We don't normally do numbers on Tuesday. So let me get, just answer my questions and listen more than you talk. So you're telling me all the bills are paid, the taxes are paid, and then you leave 30% in a business savings or checking, doesn't matter where we're leaving it. If you're leaving it there and all the bills are paid, how is it not there now? What did it get spent on? I said all my, all my business expenses were paid, not my personal. So, you know, when I have a low week, I have to rob from my business. So stop my there. business. Stop there. To, stop, to cover the stop, cost. Stop there. Then this is why you need a better accounting system. 
You, and this is why okay. I don't recommend owner operators pay themselves a wage, which is what you're doing. I don't recommend it. People think I'm crazy. What do you mean? I got to pay my, no, you're pay. You get all the profit left out of the business. Leaving some profit in the business is a great idea, except you're not really leaving it in there. You're just parking it there and then you have to pull it out to spend it because you say I have a short week. Well, what would you do if you were an employee and you had a short week? You can't go to the company and say, hey, give me some of your profit. So you're, you're, you have not budgeted probably, properly in your personal life, which is a huge reason owner operators fail. I'll look at their business and I'll go, right. you were doing a pretty damn good job of running the business, but you're spending $120,000 a year at home. It's never going to work, but it's not the business problem. So, so far, you keep asking me about your business. I have a feeling your bigger problem is in your personal numbers. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and there's nothing I can do about that. I've tried of to cut expenses wherever no, I can. Oh, no, no, don't, don't ever tell me there's nothing I can do about this. You could walk away from everything and go live in a tent down by the river. Your costs would go way down. So don't tell me you can't. Tell me you won't, you don't want to, you're not willing to. That's a different matter. But don't tell me you can't. I can lower everybody's expenses. Yeah. So, and you have to start All right, well, I way. mean, sorry I caught you on a bad day. It's not a Well, I mean, I am, Kevin, but, you know, I got, a, I got a wife and a kid at home, and, you know, I, she's not working. It's a newborn. I'm the only one, I'm the only one paying a mortgage. You know, hey, I got, hey, I, hey, I just got a whole bunch of expenses Jason? that I can't cut, hey, man. J J yes, you can uh, cut them. Stop saying you can't. You can. It's whether or not you choose to. You can cut your expenses. Sure. We could sell the house. You could, uh, there are things that could be done. Whether they should be done, I'm not saying that yet because I don't have the numbers. But here's something else we have to look at. All the things you said, I have a wife, I have a kid, I have a mortgage. I, those were all your choices. And then you chose to start a business. So one of the, you've got to start taking more personal responsibility. It always works better. Even if something isn't your fault, make it your fault because then you can control it. When you sit back and say, there's nothing right. I can do, and you keep saying that, well, then I can predict that you will be out of business at some point. Because if the numbers aren't working yep, that and, makes sense. and you keep saying there's nothing I can do, well, okay, then let's just liquidate this business now before it creates an even bigger problem. Right. Or let's fix it. But you can't fix it if you keep saying there's nothing I can do. I understand. So I was just hoping, you know, I mean, I'm making ends meet. Here's so, what I want you know. to do. Well, no, you're not making ends meet. If you were making ends meet, we wouldn't be having this conversation. You keep, you keep trying to save some money in the business, but you have to rob it to pay your personal bills. That's not making ends meet. Right. And at eight cents a mile... Okay. And, and no cash, I am going to predict that some big maintenance expense is going to come up and you're not going to have the money for it. Tires now can run us eight to $10,000 if you have to replace them all at the same time. That's just tires. Right. A one box can put you out of business. I don't know if you have a yep. one box or not, but th those are the kind of things we have to be careful of. Here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to go start another free trial. You might have to make up a new email address. Start another free trial. We'll give you another one. Get your numbers together and send an email to support at letstruck.com. You got that so far? Yeah. yeah. When, when you have your numbers together, send an email to support at letstruck.com. And I want to schedule you in on a Monday or a Thursday, and I'll take the whole show with you if I need to. Okay. Sorry to, uh, sorry to, uh, take a big chunk of this show, that, but I appreciate you talking. It, it's all right. We can go longer if we need to. Uh, all right. We're going to get to another call. Let's go to Wisconsin. John, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Uh, Missed a couple shows, so I'm just trying to fill some stuff in. It's the ultrasonic leak detector is the thing that uh, there we go. you can use to find your air leaks. Yeah, that's what they're called. Um, if you spec your truck with an Arctic insulation kit, it's actually a lot more insulated than your AC, um, AC system if you put in that 12-volt uh, or... It- you know, that's a good point. We the electric talk- APU or something. Yeah, we talked about that the other day. We talked about, you know, what do you do if you've got a truck that isn't insulated well? And insulating it can be pretty expensive and time consuming. It's mostly time consuming. It's not really that expensive if you do the work yourself. Right. Just very time consuming. But, right, but you bring up a good point. If you, we could if order you- better insulation from the beginning. Right. Uh, that would be a big help. And the... Higher mileage on the trucks. A lot of the uh, company or companies have uh, trainer trainers training oh. in drivers, so they're almost running so, as a team operation. That would make a lot of sense. Yeah, but what that would tell us, though, is something has changed because this isn't this is a mm-hmm. number that's way out of whack. And would that tell us that we're bringing so many new drivers into the industry with that? We have to have this many trucks with trainers. Yeah. I've, uh, I've heard a lot of stories of a guy getting done with training and not even three months later, he's training another driver. Yeah, I know that makes me a little crazy. They don't even have a full year of weather and yet they're training other people. What a, what a, it's sad that that's where our industry is as far as training goes. And, and yet our industry talks about safety all the time. Agreed. The uh, headset that was on the um, Twitter space, the guy was talking about, and you were talking about with him with the AI. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is actually on sale right now with Prime Days. It's down to $40. Is it really? That thing sounded so good. Yep. It's one of the best... Um, oh, I, quality sounds I've heard on a Twitter and Twitter space is weird because everybody's individual internet connection can have an impact on their sound quality in it. But he immediately sounded better than almost everybody else with a $40 headset. Clear and crisp. Yeah, it was. Uh, and it was interesting because it, that, well, those are- it's using AI to do it. In fact, I want to go do a little digging and see exactly how it's using AI. Yeah. Well, I've been off last week, so I was catching up on shows this last week over the weekend, and uh, was the first chance I had to jump in. So because I've been working during all the uh, phone 
All right. Joe, so thank you very much for your time and have a nice day. All right. Thanks for the info. Hey, Bruce, I, I was reading something at the beginning of the show and I was going to mention it and then I forgot. Um, mortgage rates just went up again. They've been bouncing around a little bit. They just went up. We're at a 22 year high right now in mortgage rates. Imagine this. Imagine you're, you know, a new young couple out looking for a house. If you would have looked at the house in 2020 and you could afford a $2,400 a month payment, let's say that that's what you worked out. You could afford $2,400 a month payment. You would have been shopping for a $700,000 house in 2020. If you could afford $2,400 a month, you'd be shopping for a $700,000 house. Now, the houses haven't changed at all, but the mortgage rate has. Now, at today's rate, because we were in the low threes at this time in 2020, about 3.2. Now we're at like 7.3. Now, you're going to go out and shop for a house. You can still only afford a $2,400 a month payment. That hasn't changed. Do you know what price house you're shopping for now? Four hundred and fifty thousand instead of seven hundred thousand. I want you to go walk around a neighborhood and look at the difference between those two houses. Well, when Jimmy Carter was president, it was twenty two percent. I remember. And that's when I bought my first house, 1980 or 81. And the owner carried the mortgage yes. at 12%. And yeah. I, thought, it, I thought that was a screaming deal. It was. There were a couple things that happens in times like this when we get up over 10, certainly. Mm-hmm. You'll see owners carry mm-hmm. mortgages if they can. And there also used to be something called assumable mortgages. And those disappeared. You could yep. take over somebody's mortgage. You had to qualify for it just like you would your own mortgage but you were able to take over their mortgage at their rate, whatever it was. Jimmy Carter's statement was, to control inflation, I'll take money away from working Americans. Which is what they're doing now, right, to try to control inflation. We just haven't got to that point yet. We might, though. All right, let's uh, let's get back to some calls. We're all over the board today. Let's go to Washington. Jerry, welcome. Hey, strangers, how you doing? Yeah, it's been a while. What's on your mind today? Oh, it's because I've kind of grown a little bit, and business has been crazy, and so i am just been running around like a chicken with my head cut off. Wait a minute. You, you, so I wanted you, to ask. You, you can't be growing. We're in a freight recession. Uh, we are, but <laughs> I have. Uh, oh, I had a nightmare show up. Do you? Okay. So you have a little bit of a time, hopefully. Do you remember I called you about a year ago and said, I need to buy a trailer. Do I buy this tier one trailer or do I buy this tier two trailer? I do remember. And you said, do the tier, do buy the tier one trailer and call it good. And no, we're good. We're good. And so we ended up buying, you said, buy the tier two trailer because it's got disc brakes on it and all that and it it was ten thousand dollars cheaper well that ended up the guy calls me back and says oh by the way we're going to increase the price by ten thousand (laughs) dollars and we're no longer giving you disc brakes (laughs) and i said okay great so then i went with the tier one trailer i was like you know what i'll spend the extra money i'll go with the tier one trailer i bought a retinauer out of pennsylvania 
So we go through all the specs, the whole nine yards. There's this month's out. So the trailer's finally in. I had it custom painted. It's all aluminum. Everything's steel on the trailer is all purple to match the trucks and the trailers, right? Nice. Everything's great. Yeah. I get over there to pick up the trailer, and they built it wrong. They built it with a low-profile kingpin setting that I couldn't even get underneath the trailer. No and way. And so they had to completely re yeah, uh, they had to completely rebuild me a trailer. And so it just showed up this week. So I am hopefully going to Spokane next week to finally pick up this new trailer that has just been the biggest pain in my thorn. It sounds so like it's it. Just Holy cow. Those, it is. But the guy worked with me really well. I will say the guy worked with me and sort of Retnauer. Apparently the owner's name is Bud Retnauer. They put, when they had to build me a new trailer, he put me at the front of the list. So I didn't have to wait as long. Let's hurry up and build this trailer. Let's get it done. And then also they kept the interest rate and the price of the trailer the same as when I ordered it. Oh, they nice. didn't increase okay. the price. They didn't do anything. Well, that helps. So, yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, yeah. Plus the, he gave me a rental trailer. He gave me a rental trailer to use. And so I've been using his rental trailer, but naturally I had to pay a little fee for, you know, cause he takes care of all the maintenance and everything. But you know, but yeah, so we have two company trucks and we are now running three owner operators. Wow. So yeah, one guy's pulling his own trailer. So he has his own truck and his own trailer. And you and I have talked, I don't know how many times, and you've said a thousand times, trailers are worth money. And I have two owner operators pulling my own trailers. There you go. And so they're making, they're making me money. There you so, go. Love yeah. That. I, Grew a little bit, not a lot. Yeah. And so, but the reason I'm calling is I have that 89 Kenworth and it is sitting. Um, the thing just makes me money, goes and goes and goes forever. But we're having a problem with the clutch linkage. Keeps hitting up because it's an 89 Kenworth. It's got a big cam 400 in it. It's got a regular nine speed transmission. But the clutch linkage, because it's an 89, the clutch linkage keeps hitting up against the frame. So the linkages wear out really fast. Well, now they're telling me that the main linkage that goes through the transmission has wore out, and they want to go in and replace that. And I was like, well, wait a minute. It's a nine-speed transmission. I'd rather go a little bit faster with it because at 1,700, we're running about 58, oh. <laughs> about 58, 59 miles an hour. And that's it. You know, that's as quick as we can go. Right. And so I thought, okay, well, let's just put a 13 in it. If we're going to pull the transmission anyway, let's just put a 13 in it. So that's my question. What 13 would I go with on this particular truck? It's got, so the transmission in it right now is I'm looking for the um, email or the text. Here it is, Peter. Um, so the transmission that's in this truck right now is an RT12609A. Well, hold it on. has a final ratio of, of one. one. Go ahead. It has a final ratio yep, of, of one. one. That's a direct drive transmission. Yep, of one. Right. Right. And so here, the gears that are in the truck supposedly are 355. Sounds about right. And so I want to be able to put a 13 in it and be able to do 62, 63 miles an hour and still keep, still keep my same fuel mileage because that 
we're pushing, you know, a hundred thousand pounds on it, but I'm still getting a little over six miles to the gallon with it. And you, because the guy, I have the guy drive it 58, 57 miles an hour. And we, we so I'd like to go 62 miles an hour. And you don't want to change rear end gears, right? We just want to change transmission. No, I just want to change the transmission because okay. if they're going to pull so, the transmission out anyway to fix this linkage, right. I might as well just put a new transmission in it. I get it. So here's what I would put in there. <laughs> so that's probably okay. has, I, I would look and you're going to have to look, but I would want a 13 speed single overdrive. Get us a, a 0.78, even I think there might even be some 0.81s. Um, that will get you, cause you're only asking for a little bit more anyway. It's not like you want to go 70 or 75. Yeah. If you did, then we'd go to a double no. overdrive and have two more gears up there. I really like single overdrives. Right. I think that's a really nice setup in the older style transmissions. And that will get you that six up to 65. You'd still be comfortable. And what are you saying for a final on that one? 0.86 it, is what it's, you said? Uh, it's going to be, there's. Several different models. I think some of them may go down to like a 0.7877. Some may be in the 0.8. It's not going to matter a whole lot. Any single overdrive is going to okay. get that little bit you're looking for. Single over. Okay. Hey, uh, what horsepower and what torque is this engine making? Uh, the motor just got rebuilt about a year ago, which was a whole nother nightmare that I talked to you guys a while back about. But it's... Um, so it's a big cam 400. Uh, I think when I was driving it, I called one day and you asked what the boost was on it. And I told you what I was running on the level with the boost and what it was on the hill. Mm-hmm. And I think you told me it was about 370 is what you were saying, mm-hmm. if I remember right. Now, Kevin's right, the 13, single over 13 for the big cam 400, because you're going to run this engine at 17 to 2200 RPM. Right. Okay, that sounds good. And I'm the guy, Bruce, I don't know if you remember, I'm the guy you called with the, the Peterbilt that has the purple frame, and I sent you pictures of all the steel-braided OPS things that I did to it. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Awesome. Yeah. So, okay, that was my question. I got all that written down, and I appreciate you guys' time. All right. Good to hear from you again. Let's head off to New Mexico. Jeremy, welcome to the program. Uh, hey, nothing serious here. I was uh, wondering about, just, just started looking around at RV. Uh, I guess the question is, is it even worth looking at like these older diesel engines that uh, 3208B, uh, the cat motor, 300 horsepower? Those, yeah, I wouldn't, uh, I'd stay away from that one. Oh, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. There's a company called Four Travel. Like they were old, they... Four Travel is a great coach. Yeah, it is. Oh, Four yeah, Travel. okay. Four Travel is what I would consider one of, like, the really good second tier. Kind of like a country coach. We, we've we looked at if we were going to upgrade our coach, it will probably be a Four Travel. So, uh, well, I think they're up they're in Nacogdoches, Texas, I think. Correct. Uh, yep. Yes, they are a Texas yeah. company. Okay. And whenever there's an... An RV show, they send a group of mechanics, and they do repairs at no is it, charge. Isn't uh, work that, with their techs. Isn't that 3208 a, a V8 10-liter? Isn't that what that is? I don't know the liters, but it is a V8. Yeah. 
3208. Yeah, I think that's a 10 liter okay. V8. Is, is that popular? Okay. It was the 1990. I thought it was kind of old. Because then I saw where they made like a 95, and they used a 3116 or something. The number changed, so I didn't know which one. Yeah. Uh, Wasn't there a 3106? 3126? Yeah, I thought 3116. Yeah, yeah, maybe it was that. That was a little more. Wasn't, isn't that the one before the B model came out, the 3116? I don't remember. I That's going way back. I mean, those are small engines. It Did is. you get the letters, the C9, C11, C12? Is that the first number on the um, serial numbers? I think C just probably no. stands for cat. Because on the serial numbers, it started with C9. So yeah, see, they're nine just telling liter. us that's a Cat 9 liter. Yeah, that the the, the problem liter. sometimes, though, is Cat made so many damn different engines that you can't just say 9 or 10 liter because you might find an inline 6 10 liter and you may find a V8 10 liter. They're totally different engines. So you really do have to get so specific, line, but I, I would skip that. Um, I would skip that V8 oh, okay. coach. And that is a 10 okay. liter engine. Kevin. Yeah, I thought so. It's 10 point. Oh. So what about that other company? Another company called Vogue or V O V O G U E Prima Vista. Uh, that's a coach like you're talking about. Yeah, it was. There, it was. Uh, it made in L.A. like in '74, and then they moved to Ohio, Oklahoma. I've uh, never even heard of them. Oh, it looks like a like a rock star bus, but I mean, it it has the it has the Detroit. Yeah, but it's probably the old two-stroke Detroit. Oh, okay. Yeah. What year is so, it? I, I hold, guess hold, on. Hold, hold on. Say that. What, what year was it? Uh, 1995. Oh, no, a 95 would be a uh, new Series 60. Not new, but it would be a Series 60, oh. not the old-style engines. That may oh. be... Now, okay, as it. far as the coach itself, you said it looks like a tour bus, then it, is it built on a bus chassis? Right. I mean... It, no, it, I'm asking. Uh, that was a question. You can't... Is oh. it built on a bus chassis? Like a... Like a Prevo or a, a Bluebird or one of the bus right. manufacturers, is that what this is built on? That's my question. They say that, yeah, they, oh, I see. I was kind of trying to find that, uh, find that out, but uh, it did say something. They started going towards that, yeah. I just couldn't find it. You know, there, when you're looking at coaches, there's two big issues. One, drive line, and that's usually more important for me. I want a good drive line. That's why I ended up going with the com the Cat, not the Cummins. And then you want the build quality if you're going to use these things a lot because they break a lot and there's a lot of maintenance. But so having a bus chassis with the Series 60 is a really solid platform to start with. I'd be very happy with that. Now I know nothing about that coach manufacturer, though, so I don't. I can't even comment on their build quality. It says it has a, a, um, a Allison 
They uh, Almost all the coaches are going to have the same six-speed Allison. It sucks. I wish we had other options, but almost all of them are going to have that transmission. So it just seems maybe this is just way too complicated for, for looking at it instead of just probably going for something like a small band, a newer, newer band that well, you can have a backup car, backup vehicle. Well, what are you trying to accomplish with this? Just, you know, uh, a couple things, you know, backup van, uh, backup vehicle, uh, also have like a, in case power goes out, have a place to go in and then take a couple vacations a year, you know. Okay, so that's, I mean, having a backup vehicle, I don't think I would ever be looking at a coach. You know, typically when we say coach, we're talking about a bus platform, 42 to 45 feet, you know, sometimes tandem axle. Um, that's, that's such overkill. You're never going to use that as a backup vehicle. It's an awesome place if the power goes out and you want to go live in it. I've lived in one for a couple of years. They're very comfortable. Uh, and then to go on vacation okay, a couple times a year, it's really nice for that too. But then when you say, or we're thinking about a van, well, that that makes a decent backup vehicle, but I don't know that I'd want to live in one very long. If the power goes out for a day yeah. or two, it's not a big deal, but I, I, I have both. I've got a coach and a van. I can't imagine trying to live in the van. Right, right. Yeah, that's, but uh, we're thinking about well, stuff like but that. But there's yeah. also a whole bunch in between. The price. Yeah. You yeah. know, I, I, I think based on what you're looking at, I would be somewhere in between. A coach is too big, too expensive, too impractical for the little bit you're going to use it. A van, and look, I can go buy a pretty darn nice coach right now, 45-foot coach, for about the same price as you're going to pay for a brand new Sprinter van. Now, I know yeah, you probably right. weren't looking at new, but Sprinters are not cheap. No. Sprinters have gotten outrageously expensive. If you want to go buy a new Pleasure Way 4x4 Sprinter van, and it's the Shorty, and it's the 2500 not the 3500 they are $220,000. No, right. I was just that price had something to do with it, so I started at older stuff. Yeah, I, but some, it, it, you, should like prob- you should probably be looking for like a 30-some-foot RV somewhere in between. You're at the two extremes, and neither one of those is going to work well for what you're looking for. You should be somewhere in the middle. Okay. So, or is it just better to get at one of these pickups that are, they're still expensive new, so as new as I can get, and, uh, you know, GM, Dodge, or... Ford and just pull a travel trailer. That can work too, or a fifth wheel. Yeah. Is any that's a, that is much is much it better cheaper. to have the Allison. Oh, okay. Well, trucks are kind of expensive, but I mean, well, but but hold on. Is there on. any advice on trucks? Hold, hold on. If all we're looking for is a backup vehicle, that and and yeah. we want like an emergency place to live for a while, and we want to go on vacation a couple of times a year. Now, why wouldn't we be buying yeah. just a ten or $12,000 used pickup? We could go really old if we want. Just find something in nice shape. They're easier to work on. There's lots of advantages. Yeah. And then buy a decent fifth wheel. You're still going to be 
one third of the price you're looking at a coach and you accomplish what you're trying to do much better. Yeah, okay. Uh, Dodge Ford GM, does it uh, matter? I, I, uh, I don't have a preference. <laughs> uh, Bruce, okay. you, you've done a lot of diesel pickups. They've all been Dodges, right? That's correct. Is the trans- Dodge transmission or is it well, it depends. Yeah, it all depends on uh, what year you're going to buy. You know, uh, I didn't have problems with my transmissions in my '95. So I, then I had an '89 with the Cummins with the five-speed. I didn't have any problems with that transmission either. Wow, that's '95. So I thought you mentioned you had like a '15. I have a 2016. It has the ASIN transmission. It's a medium-duty truck transmission from Japan. It's a six-speed, and it's a wonderful transmission. And I don't What's know what year they... I think it's ASIN, A-S-I-N. Oh, okay. Got a phenomenal exhaust brake in Colorado, pulling the four-place snowmobile trailer. There's not a mountain I touch my brakes on. Okay. All right, well, I just tried to... Keep familiar with a few things. I appreciate it. Okay. All right. Okay. Thanks for the call. Let's, right. uh, let's, oop. So uh, we've got phone lines open. We've got one call on the board right now. I'm not sure what happened. Uh, if you want to jump in, we'll hang out. 855-950-3835. We're going to head off to Missouri this time. Billy, welcome. Hey, Kate. How you guys doing? Good. What's on your mind? Got one question for you guys. I got uh, my fuel mileage for the month of June is 8.92. I got a uh, Freightliner. It's a 14 model with a DD13, 264 gears, 10 speed auto shift, low pro 20, 22. I'm sorry, low pro 22.5. I'm looking at upgrading to a similar truck. Uh, matter of fact, it came out. It's going to come out of the same fleet if I purchase it. The only difference is it's going to be a 2020 model. DD13 with 228 gears versus the 264 and a 12-speed auto versus the 10-speed auto. My fuel mileage being 8.92 for the month of June, if I had been in that truck, all things equal, how much better fuel mileage would you expect out of so the newer truck? I like the new truck specs. I really do. I, I like your old truck specs too, your current truck. And I like the, you know, basically nine mile to the gallon number. <laughs> the problem here, when we get up to these kinds of numbers, we can't really guarantee that even though this truck is specced better, there's so many variables. We can't, we can't make an assumption that this one's going to get 10. It, it's probably not. Absolutely. Most trucks aren't getting 10 unless we really work pretty hard at at getting there. Now, these are good specs to start with. So I would have to, once you get up to that nine mile per gallon number, it it becomes difficult to know that we can get better by switching a truck. You could switch trucks and end up getting worse, and then we could fight with it and try to figure out why. And um, I, I'm always a little nervous. So if you're already above nine, I tell people don't buy this truck with the thought that you are going to get better fuel economy, and that's going to help you pay for it. Don't do that. If yeah. You can afford to just go buy the truck. It's the truck you want. It makes sense. It's a good price. Buy it. 
and mm-hmm. let's hope that it, and I hate to say that, but there, there are enough variables in trucks that every once in a while we look at a truck and think that should be getting much better fuel economy. Why isn't it? And then we have to go chase it. Right. So yeah, don't, don't, don't bet on the fact that you're going to save any, any fuel with the new truck. Just, just, I would go into okay. it assuming we, we should get at least get as good, but I wouldn't predict that we're going to okay. get any better. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that's all I had. All right. It, it, now, if, if you get it and it gets better, that's awesome. But we would just consider it a sure. bonus and, and I wouldn't count on it. It should. But when we're already up at that nine number, I start to get nervous that there just aren't many trucks we're going to buy, put on the street and get 10. Anybody else have any thoughts on that? one? We're out of calls, by the way. Yeah, I have no thought on it. What was the existing truck? I didn't hear in a year. Uh, 14. 14 with a DD-13 and 264. So pretty nice setup. Really is. And it's working. He's getting almost nine miles to the gallon. I just, I get nervous trying to predict that we're going to buy another truck and get more than that. So speaking of predict, there's this cool thing from Detroit that you can download. Well, at least we can. Um, that it's, it's called like Spec Manager. And it has all this ability where you can put like what engine, what transmission, tires, axles, da 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 right? You can spec out this whole truck in the software. And then the cool part is like there's all these graphs and numbers and things about how it's going to perform as far as, as far as acceleration. And the final piece, they actually have like 30 or 40 different routes already planned. And it'll run a simulation and try to give get back like, you know, how many shifts it would do, what the fuel mileage would be. Like it has this whole simulated thing based on the the spec that you put in. So I only have one question about this. Hmm. What, why haven't you sent me this? I'll send it to you. Yes, I need this. That would be awesome to play with. I, I, so JR and I played for like uh, maybe an hour or so. Pete, you're not listening to this. We played with it for like an hour or so. <laughs> trying to see have like a competition who could have like the best miles, you know, the best fuel mileage truck that we could build. It's really hard to make fuel mileage. It is hard to make fuel mileage. You have to, you have to know a lot and you have to work at it. Pushing nine miles to a gallon. I mean, going from six to seven is fairly easy, but going from eight and a half to nine and a half is a whole lot harder. I mean, we were, we kept doing the run like West Virginia to like, um, somewhere around Pittsburgh. I can't remember. That's a tough one. That's that's a tough one. Yeah. One of the interesting t- statistics that it would spit out would be like number of shifts. Oh, and yeah. depending on what like rear gears you have, like combined with the DT12, one route would have, one simulation run would have like 900 shifts. And then if you put the right gears in, it's like 300 shifts. Wow. It's kind of amazing that, yeah. uh, you know, how big of the jump would be. Would that work on big cams? No. Did you, did you try to put <laughs> well, cam in? You, you could if you model a big cam and put in there, you could. Can you, can you can you figure max mileage catalyst in it? <laughs> no. No, I didn't write the software. It was, <laughs> God, I haven't talked about that yet on this whole show. People yeah. are going to be wondering why. You almost snuck it in there. We almost got to it. Hey, the, the, guy, the guy that was having trouble having ends meet, I was going to say to him, why I, aren't you running the max mileage catalyst? I threw it that in there. Help you, but I threw it in there. 
Oh, did you? Yeah. He, okay. he, when I when he said he was only spending eight cents a mile on maintenance, you know, I said it's too low. There is a time when I can look at somebody and say, you're not spending enough on maintenance and it's going to cause a problem at some point. If you don't, if you don't maintain things as you go, then the, you get the big hit. All, and, all, all. And, and, and let's clarify something because he did say something. Fixing little things when they break is not preventative maintenance that you're still waiting for something to break. And I realize we can't replace everything before it breaks. But when he said, oh, no, you know, I fix all the little things when they happen, when they break. Well, yeah, you should. That, that, but that's, yeah, that's still reactive. What I'm talking about is if you're spending this little money on maintenance, there's preventative maintenance you're skipping. Maybe he's not doing oil samples. We yeah. didn't talk about that. Oil samples are huge for preventative maintenance. Yeah, the other I thing think I can send it to you because I don't know. I don't have your email. I don't. Even, I, I don't have your phone number or nothing. I, well, how am I going to send it to you? Yeah, I, <laughs> it wouldn't do you any good to have my phone number. Ask Bruce. I never answer my phone anyway. Um, but you, it shouldn't. It shouldn't be that hard. Hey, hey, Leroy, you're a pretty smart guy. I'm going to give you three guesses at what my email might be. Uh, it's, I'm guessing it's like a hotmail. You seem like the boomer type. I, yeah, that's still like, like AOL. I, I did have a hotmail address for a long, long time. And then after that, I did have an AOL address for a long time. But now it should be with three guesses. You should be able to figure out what my email is. That's my first. My second is Kevin at I'm right .com. Uh, That's one of my backups. <laughs> Your personal one. That's right. I don't know. Yeah. I'll send it somewhere. There you go. All right. Yeah. All right. I know the old one used to be Kevin on XM, right? (laughs) Yeah, it was that we don't use that one anymore. That one was gone. Yeah. All right. Let's get to some calls. Oh, no, I can't yet. I want to say one thing. Sure. I want to say one thing. I used to get a lot of phone calls. I got to buy another truck because my truck's totally wore out. And I haven't had one of those calls now for probably a year and a half, which is telling me people are doing more preventative maintenance. Because whenever they'd say my truck's totally wore out, my answer was, well, then you're not repairing things when they need to be repaired. Because engines, transmissions, and rears and rear suspension don't all wear out at the same time. Yeah, I I, um, I just had a thought and it flew right out of my head. I don't know what happened there. Uh, senior, you had a senior I moment. I did. I did. I went to say something and my mind thought of something else right at that minute. It totally screwed me up. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, that idea of a truck totally wore mm-hmm. out or that that's really changing in the last. You know, we've talked about this many times. Engines aren't wearing out anymore. That, that's just such a weird thing to deal with. Um, diesel engines now mm-hmm. don't use oil. That's weird to deal with. Every diesel engine I've ever owned uses oil right from day one. So that's new. They don't use oil anymore and they're not wearing out. You know, they're at that a million plus miles and they're still not using oil. It's like, what do we do with these things? Right. Mm-hmm. The, the, 
differentials don't need anything. The transmissions last forever. It, it's pretty incredible that if you buy spec and maintain these things right, a million miles is not that big of a deal anymore. Right. Hey, Kevin, have you ever priced out so, uh, owner-operator taking a truck, running it a million miles, which other than maintenance shouldn't need a whole lot, like you said, engines are going a million miles, rear-end transmissions are, dumping it off and buying a new one versus buying one at, you know, or getting rid of one at, at say, 450,000 miles. It's not even when, close. So which one's more economical? Keep it. To do. Keep it to a million miles and then, you know, if you don't have any problems, you're ahead of the game. Yes. Now, yeah. I can say prior to the modern, more complicated trucks, if we can go back to early two, late 90s, early 2000s, we've got electronics, but we don't really have emissions. The best cost effective way for one of those is the longer you keep it. And I don't even think there is an end date the more cost-effective it becomes. So even doing an in-frame, replacing a transmission if you had to, differentials, like you could take somebody like Matt, he's out past 2 million miles. That is the most cost-effective way. There's just no way around it. You won't spend more on maintenance and fuel than you would if you went to try to buy a new truck. So in that era, the longer you can keep that truck, no matter what you have to do to keep rebuilding it, it becomes more and more cost effective the longer you keep it. Now what I'm wondering, and I don't know the answer to this anymore, would that still work? When, when would we get rid of one of these modern trucks? And I'm talking after 2014. I don't even want to talk about trucks between 04 and 2014. Just skip all those. But if we get to the newer modern trucks that we know if they're specced right, we can get away from emissions problems. What I don't know, though, what is the optimal time to keep that? The idea of keeping it to about 1.2 million and then and here's the most cost effective way. Get rid of that truck and buy one used but less than a year old when you can find those those are the bargains you're going to save a ton of money over buying brand new it's getting easier to find well-specced new trucks but i don't know what what would happen to a dd15 or a volvo well-specced well-maintained when would we have to do something it's kind of my question when when would we have to rebuild or replace the engine and what's it going to cost us there's so little of that going on i don't really see any good numbers. I mean, other than the, the one box on the DD platform, I mean, we generally see them pretty trouble free. And, and where are these, these 2014, 2015 DDs? Shouldn't these things have like, um, well, we should be, we should be getting well past a million miles on some of these, right? Easy by now. Where are they? What's happening yeah. to them at that point? I thought a lot of the Freightliners were parked somewhere because of the engine being done. That, that's what I'm and wondering. one time said there was, there was a place that they had acres of Freightliners parked. That'd be interesting. I'd like to know that. And if that's the case, yeah. what are we going to do with them? What, is it really not cost-effective to put another engine in one? 
It's getting expensive. I mean, I, I don't know if you can pick up an engine for under fifty grand now on a, on a DD15, and it doesn't include labor, and you're going to do a clutch, right? Annual transmission, so, you do motor mount, um, miscellaneous stuff at that point. Um, so, so it is getting expensive. And you know, what happens to all those trucks? You know, like three, four years ago, all those companies going bankrupt, and where did all those trucks go? Yeah, I, good question. You know, we talked now, about right, going out; they never went them. out. Well, let's talk a lot of them go to South America, Central America. A lot of go to the islands. If you go down to um, uh, the so, islands, you'll see a lot of our older trucks. Let, let's talk about that. If that's where these modern trucks are going, if they're either being parked in a field somewhere or they're going south to another country, well, then I still have some questions. How are they still driving them? If we needed an engine. And that's why we were going to park it or get rid of it. What are they doing in these other countries with them? Or what about this? If all you're going to do is go park it in a field because you, you, it's not cost effective to buy another engine, is that engine done? Shouldn't we just drive these things till they're, they won't go anymore then and then go park them in the field? Is anybody well, doing that? Field that? Of freight liners, they, that field of freight liners, they were done. Okay. But I can tell you I've been twice in – I did a seminar in Jamaica, and then I was a judge at one of the truck shows. And the people in Jamaica are pretty interesting. They'll take parts that we throw out, and they'll rebuild them. Oh, I'll bet. And keep things running. I'll bet. Well, if you look at what Cuba did with cars after the U.S. embargo, my Cuba kept, and they still do. They keep the 1950s and 60s cars running forever. That's right. So, you know, they yeah. say we're a waste, we're, we can be a wasteful society in the U.S. We're kind of spoiled, so. Yeah, we are. But they're still yeah, rebuilding. Look at Turnaround Transport in Moberly, Missouri, our dealer. He, they still resurrect the 379s and the W9s, and their trucks are beautiful, and they run great, and they keep everything running forever. So that's what I'm wondering. There's a lot of people doing that with we the... Uh, yeah, we know we can do that on like, even big cams. I mean, you got guys keeping those things running. What I'm wondering, can we keep these new modern trucks running? Is it going to be cost effective to do that or not? My, I was wondering, like, within the islands and stuff, they're not using ultra-low sulfur fuel, so they're going to have um, emissions oh, issues. They'll have a big problem. I don't think now. they have emissions. Yeah, I think they would. There's just no way that the one box would be able to handle for any emission system with that fuel they have. Yeah, I was just about to say I'm pretty sure that they're just going to start deleting everything at that point. All right, let's. I knew somebody one time that did that, like saying they were sent. And they, they deleted like 10 of them before they went on the boat. Hey, I got to pay attention, guys. We yeah, just, the, the, the board just totally filled up with calls. So, what just happened? We're also the only diesel Why are we hearing <laughs> Pittsburgh Powers on hold? Thanks again for calling Pittsburgh Power. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure where that's coming from, but We're not uh, on the Her- Herschel, welcome. It's it's the Bruce Al- it's the Bruce Almighty hour. You know what used to be? Hey, I don't know if Bruce. Does your phone system still work this way? It used to be really weird for me because I would call. Um, 
I would call Pittsburgh, and well, when it uh, went to hold, I would be hearing myself. That was always weird. Serious engines since 1977. <laughs> so we have it, but we're not on the company phone lines. We're open Monday. Bruce is on his cell phone, and we're on um, the headset. We were and I. How, how did the, I don't know where you were picking us up. Also, is so Bruce is on his cell phone, or is he on his company phone? At the, so hold on. Here's the only way I can figure oh, this maybe out. He's on the company. I'm, I'm going to have to mute everybody. So if I mute Bruce... It disappears. It's Bruce. Uh, he might be on the company phone and put it on hold. Yeah. So, uh, um, <laughs> so let me check. Um, yes. Angie, can you figure out? I put Bruce on hold. Let me put him back in the queue. Uh, I'll put him back in the queue so you can check to see what's going on with that line. Herschel, it's your turn. What's up? Yes, sir. Um, this might be more for Leroy. I'm not sure. My uh, 2018 D13 Volvo. I I am yep. a tuner, so I do I do have your computer and everything. You had said to me one time that you do have J Pro to be able to read stuff on the Volvo. Yep. And I had a, I had a check engine light pop up today. God only knows why. Everything is running perfectly fine. When I get home and get all hooked up, should I ask for you, or would Jr. know how to mess with the J Pro, or is that better for you? Uh, we both know, but Jair is on vacation this week, so you have to deal with oh, me. Oh, well, I guess it, guess it doesn't matter then, does it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, when I get home and hooked up around 3, 3.30, how late are you there? Till 3.30. Till 3.30. I better hustle. Okay. That's what I needed to know. Thank you. No problem. That's it? Yeah, that's it. That's All right. it. Uh, it's a re- it's a real truck question on the power hour. That that was easy, and you're right. It was a real truck Weird. question. We're only going to charge you half price for that one. Okay, good enough. All right, thanks for thanks the call. Guys. Let's go to Texas. Paul, welcome to the program. Howdy. I also have a power hour question. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, we're not allowing power hour questions today. You got you got derailed earlier. <laughs> yes, so. we did. <laughs> um, okay. So my 2014 Peter built in early 2013, the power steering reservoir, I had the filter changed twice, but after the last time they did it, and then I took the clamp off and put it back together, it's always seeped just a little bit, but a little bit of oil, it's like bullshit, a little bit go a long way, makes a mess. The new power steering reservoir, which has the little spin-on filter in it. Do you think I'd be able to just change over to that system? Maybe? Mm. Would it be compatible? Yeah, uh, no idea on our side. I can't hook a laptop up to it. I don't know. Well, you're not help then. Uh, <laughs> I guess I'll just... Yeah, it's not I'll a big just, I'll, just, I I'll have to... I'll have to... I'll have, I'll have to... I'll, go, I'll find one that someone that's got one and just see if it'll hook straight up maybe or you have to so, call in and ask why don't you just buy a brand new one that goes with your truck paul uh well i was gonna buy a brand new one but i'd like to go to the upgraded model because it has a little spin-on filter so you don't have to pull it apart to change the filter because the mm-hmm. one i have you got to undo the clamp and you pull it up pull it apart but the new one that has a little spin-on filter would be real easy yeah well, so hmm. Because 1.2 million miles, I think my truck's still in pretty good shape, but it's cost way more than eight cents a mile to keep it in the shape it's in. 
But I, I plan on keeping it for another couple of years, probably. So, but when it when it is for sale, I will broadcast it on the show. So, yeah. Okay. So, right, I'll carry I'll, on. Um, Thank you much. On that power steering reservoir, is there one line coming in and one line going out? Yep. I'll have to have a look at one to see what it what it's like, though. But yeah, I, I'm. I'm my first assumption would be they are compatible and you could probably use them. It'd be just my luck. They changed the bracket and it won't fit on the bracket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'll hmm. find someone with a later model, Pete. Have a look at that. See okay. if it's doable. So, oh, Let us and know the, next the guy, the guy with the 8.9 miles per gallon, let's look at trading up. If he downloads the ECM report, he should be able to get a reasonably accurate fuel mileage out of that, shouldn't he? Uh, yes and mm-hmm. no. I always worry a little bit about it. It, it helps. It gets us in the ballpark. Um, if we know the other operation, that would help even more. Uh, but occasionally you'll see an, a, a high number and it turns out it was an expediter or you just got to be careful about that if you don't know the whole history of the truck. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, it'll sort of be comparing apples to apples because at least the truck's coming from the same fleet that he got the current. One. That's true. That you know, I forgot about that point. He did yeah. say that. That does help. Yeah. yeah. You know, and 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 okay, th- those gauges on. are getting a lot more accurate. So I, I should probably learn to trust them a little more. I'm still leery of them. Yeah. All right. We're going to grab another call. We're off to Indiana this time. Bill, welcome to the program. Hey, how are you, how's everyone doing today? Hey, got a question. Oh, God, who's the electronic guru over there at Pittsburgh? That would be Leroy. Be Leroy. Leroy. <laughs> hey, Leroy, got a question. All right, I was the guy that called maybe about a month ago about a uh, every a certain time when I hit, when I'd be driving, my ABS would go on, and then it would just be like servicing. Well, I've noticed my, 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 my uh, ABS on my trailer light would come on when I hit a bump and come off. So I'm just like, okay, I go, I know it's not a wheel bearing because I do all my own maintenance. So I hooked up the my laptop to the trailer to see if there was any codes for the uh, brain box. So there was no power going to the brain box, but I was like, okay. So I'm just thinking, okay, nothing else. So I just let it alone. It would do it again. So I replaced the box. I had the high and low to try to find a brain box. Now, ever since I replaced that, I've never had a problem with the truck anymore. Why is the brain box on the APU module, the ABS module on the trailer, do they sync and talk to each other with the ABS on the truck? Yes, yes. Okay, yep. okay, okay, because all my problems went away and it was the board, so I took the, uh, the modular apart and found a, uh, a hairline crack in the board, so trying to find parts uh, for, for that for the ABS. That modular was expensive, but it is what it is. Do, do you have do you have two separate lights on your dash for truck ABS and trailer ABS or do you just have one yeah. singular no, ABS I got, light? I got both. Okay. Yeah, so when you had that truck ABS one it would or the trailer it should pop up the trailer ABS, right? Yeah, they would come on and the ABS on my trailer would go off but my ABS would stay on. 
And then when I when I finally got the box, I replaced it, and I also replaced the, con- the ABS control modular because I wanted to place them as a set and put them all together. Man, trouble free. I've never had a problem since. I just I was just curious if the trailer mod talks to the brain box in the truck. That's all. Because I like learning yep. new things. Okay. Yeah, I think right. a lot well, of the, the yeah, rollover control, the, a lot of the rollover control and stability control, the um, like from Meritor that they, they designed to keep trucks from rolling over. They have to, uh-huh. you know, actuate both the brakes on the trailer and the truck in order to keep them from uh-huh. rolling over. So yeah, they mm-hmm. got to talk to each other. Yeah. That set me back about $2,500 for the whole system, but nobody had them. And, and the way I found it, I found it through eBay. Imagine that a brand new box wow. and a controller. So I guess I got lucky cause I thought my trailer was going to be down until I could find one, but y'all take care now. All right. Thanks for the call. All right. Sounds good. Let's head off to Kentucky this time. Randy, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. Uh, Bruce is talking about that max mileage. I just want you to know I was in Louisville, Kentucky today making a delivery, and the guys sells fire trucks. And I told him, he's telling me the only problem they have is they went to death. So I told him all about your product and everything, and they're going to call you. We're hearing a tremendous amount of problems with fire trucks, ambulance. And that's what I told him because I heard you talking about that the other day. So that's what I told you. It's hard to get corporate people with all their education sitting in their glass palaces to realize that they need to do this. Well, this guy was a former chief of fire chief, and now he works for Ford Motor Company, and, and he sells fire trucks, a brand new one. Mm-hmm. So he knows just about everybody. So I told, I, I give him your name and number and everything, and he's going to call you, okay? Okay, it's so much easier to explain things to an owner-operator. He listens, he tries, he sees the results. But, man, when you're dealing with these big companies, it's tough. Yeah, it is. Well, I tell you, that guy was really interested. That's so, good. Appreciate it. All right, buddy. Y'all take care. All right. Thanks for the call. All right. We're... Uh, We've got one call left on the board. If you want to jump in, we will hang out. 855-950-3835 if you want to jump in. Let's go to Texas this time. Dwight, welcome. Hey. um, Okay. Uh, I uh, have one of your favorite trucks. It's a mid-roof 2003 Volvo with that wonderful ISX. The truck's got a million eighty seven thousand miles and a hundred and thirty seven thousand miles ago I did a out of frame. So it specs really wonderful. Three seven three rear ends with a super ten speed, eleven R twenty two five. My ninety day average is six four. And that's because I'm light and I drive slow. Otherwise it would probably be about five four. And I've got a dedicated run, and I'm really, I've never liked the truck, but it was cheap, and it got me out of a jam. And now I'm thinking about, I've been looking at the Volvos, and I can get one with the the CT D13. It looks like between $75,000 and $80,000. I can usually find four or five to look at. And, uh, 
And I'm just thinking that surely uh, I can do better. I can I can make up a lot of payment. I my, this truck's paid for, and it makes me hyperventilate to think about a payment. But I'm thinking surely I can make enough fuel economy to uh, put make a big chunk of that payment. So have you done and, the uh, calculations this, yet? Uh, as far as a payment. So here's, here's, if I, if I go 40, go ahead. Okay. Uh, I'll just say, you know, 48, uh, 48 month payment, uh, which I'd probably try to do and try to pay it off in three or two. Um, so, but what, what I, what I can, what I figured you now just in my mind, I hadn't put the pencil to it enough, but if, if I can just, I mean, if I could just get a mile per gallon better, uh, that ought to get me way up there. And Well, well hold on. So, know, one, so one of the things I would start doing right now is get more accurate and specific. If, if you're okay with rounding off and saying one mile per gallon will get me close enough. Well, then if that's the case, fairly easy. I mean, but if, but if you want to know, is this change going to make my payment? Well, then we need to get more specific and we really need to start. Like, for example, right now in your operation with today's fuel price, how much would one mile per gallon save you every month? The, um, well, I've actually, I've got, got that here, but I didn't, um, let's see. All right. With me, it's at six, four. The, uh, right now, of course I'm, I'm with a good company and I got a good, good fuel discount, but, uh, right now my fuel would be, uh, 5,600 a, a month. And if I can go to seven, four, that would be, it's almost, a, it's almost exactly a thousand dollars savings. If I get one and if I can get eight and a half to eight, four, I would go from, uh, 50, 5,600 a month in fuel to 4,200. Okay. So that, that comes that's, no... That's almost halfway to a payment. Well, really? Okay. I, hold on, because I, I wouldn't think so. So you saved uh, 1,400 a month. Are you talking about a new truck, brand new? No, 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 okay. no. No. Okay. Used around, around 450 to 800. Uh, about a eighty, no more than an eighty thousand dollar truck. Okay, then we are halfway there. I thought it might be new. So, but now, no, no. what? Okay, so, but you got to get no, yeah. two miles to the gallon more to get to that number. And two miles to the gallon isn't out of the question. I mean, eight point four is not that tough to achieve today. If we buy something newer than a twenty fourteen, we could predict that number. Predicting more than that number well, becomes difficult. I mean, if we're going to try to break well, nine, the, that's that's a, a bigger challenge. Well, the absolute oldest truck I would be looking at is 2020, but really not even that. Really, it's got to have to be a 22 or 23. Yeah, uh, just let me ask you because I, uh, I know the C, with the CT. Things are changing fast. Are there really 2022s and 23s available at 80,000? Is that what the price is right now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. With the CTs, that's all I look at is the CTs. Okay. So in the Volvo 860, 
So would you be happy with that 8.4? Is that enough to, to get you to do I, this? Yeah. Well, then yes, that's, that, that's pretty it straightforward would. then. I mean, this isn't that tough. If the 8.4 is enough and you've got a budget for a 2021, 20, 22 even, then this is very doable. Yeah. Because, you know, you know what specs I'm dealing with now. Right. Which is horrible. Right. Well, and, of course, the trucks, you know, it's a 20-year-old 20, 20 truck with, uh, you know, 23-year-old truck with over a million miles on it. Now, there is something else we have to consider when you're running these calculations on fuel mileage. Fuel is our most expensive cost, our biggest cost. It's also our most volatile in, in we have gone everywhere from just in the last 10 years, I could probably say everywhere from $2 a gallon to $6 a gallon. That's a huge spread. So your calculation based on today's fuel price will would actually work better if fuel prices go up because we're buying a truck that gets really good fuel economy. We would want fuel prices to go higher then this would save you even more. If fuel prices drop back to two bucks a gallon, your numbers don't work so good then. Yeah. Right, right. Well, the uh, your existing truck? 2003. Okay. E EGR. Okay. Why'd you okay. stay with the 10 speed transmission and the 370 oh, well. gear so long? Well, because I didn't want to put. Any more money into it, uh, I suspected I would have to do the outer frame, and I did, and it's that's paid for. And, uh, you know, I, I was hoping the truck would last another 100000 and then I was going to bump up into a different truck. Well, the motor cratered, you know, 100, 150,000 miles sooner than I anticipated, and so... And at that, and, and when that happened, we were in the middle of the pandemic. So, I'm, are you I, have I, you I, done I, anything yeah. to this truck? Have you done any like the exhaust manifold and intake manifold and things like that and fleet air filter? I, I have. Get more fuel mileage. Yes, yes. I've got the bigger, okay. bigger uh, exhaust and um, so uh, max mileage. And, uh, that's it. Um, I do need to get the fleet air filter and I want to put air tabs. Now this is a mid roof also, which that doesn't help me. Now, I don't know if that hurts me as much as all the other things combined. Half mile per gallon. A van? If you're pulling a van, it's a half mile per gallon. Yeah. Well, I'm pulling a drive van. That's all I do is dedicated. And I, you know, and, and the reason I'm even getting what I'm getting is, um, uh, because I used to be, uh, you know, when I was <laughs> driving a lot, driving heavy, heavy loads and trying to drive 70. Because at 65, I'm at 1,500 RPMs. If I want to go 70, uh, I'm 1,600. So, so you're geared, you're geared too slow. At 370 oh, yeah. a year, I'm, su I'm surprised you stayed with that so long. If you listen to the show... I'm surprised you oh. haven't put 264 oh. years in that. Oh, well, I just didn't want to put money into this truck. I, I hate to say it, but I, hey. I do not like, I do not hey, like Dwight. this truck. I, Dwight. I don't like it. How, how long have you owned yes, this sir. truck? Since uh, 2018. 
So when you say you don't want to put money in the truck, you had two options. You could have put some money in up front to get another mile per gallon, which wouldn't have been that tough with this truck, maybe even a mile and a half, or you just put the money into fuel. One way or another, you spent the money. You probably spent more on fuel. Yeah. Well, we had this little thing called a pandemic that threw a giant monkey wrench in buying another truck, you know, like you said, well, don't buy well, another truck. And well, I didn't. No, I, I get it. But I've never said don't upgrade the truck you have. A, a fairing up top and a gear ratio change and a couple other things, we could have had that mile plus my, gain. Yeah. Yeah. But based on your numbers well, right now, yeah. what you're attempting is doable. The, the numbers make sense for you to go out and, and do this. The, now, the, am I understanding that, that, uh, Oh, oh my gosh! Just, just drew a blank. Uh, the Volvo guy. You can pay him to help. Uh, of course, if when I get the final specs, and and I got most of the specs because I'm only looking at the the D D13 TC, and it has the I shift. But the only thing on some of these trucks, um, they they're real slow to almost not wanting to return calls and giving me the rear end ratio. Um, but, uh, you know, and that's, that's the only thing I need to get maybe is, uh, uh, get the rear end ratios so I can, can call you and kind of run that by and make sure I'm in that. Yeah, absolutely. You in get, the range that you, Joel recommends. If we've got all the details that this is a simple call and we're not, again, we're not attempting to try to break 10 miles to the gallon here. We know if we can just get to that no. 8.4, that the numbers make sense. Everything above that would be a bonus. If we can get to nine. That'd be awesome. But we're not, we don't have to get to those numbers to make this work. So um, start shopping for the trucks, get the details, and then give us a call and we'll go over them. Let's go to Florida. Pat, welcome to the program. Oh, let me try that again. Hold on. Come on. Why? Oh, there we go. Didn't want to respond there. There you are. Okay. Uh, you hit the nail on the head with a question I wanted to ask you for a while. The DT-15 and the, and the uh, useful life of the block. You know, for years you've been talking about the 60, saying, you know, a million two, a million three, and you got Matt with two million. There's other people you know with, you know, with that series 60 that are over a million and a half. Isn't there some place we can find data on, you know, how many of those trucks are still on the road? Or is this top secret that Freightline doesn't want anybody to know that they got a million mile uh, engine? It's not top secret. Isn't there some sort of... It's not top secret, but somebody has to gather that data and present it somewhere that we can get to it. And it's not always easy to find this kind of data. It exists somewhere. Nobody's really trying to hide it but they might not be making it easy to find either. There, is, there are lists of what they publish as half-life. And that kind of sort of gives us an average. The half-life of this engine is this. The half-life of this component is this. But it's also all over the board. And it, it doesn't really tell us a whole lot. Uh, it, it's just an average across big groups and lots of different segments and different duty cycles. So getting good specific data on a lot of this stuff is still 
uh, tough. And and in the last 10 years, trucks and engines have changed enough that we don't even have enough time on some of these to know those numbers yet. They're not old enough to have enough miles on them to know what they're going to do. Right. Uh, what's Bruce seeing in the no, shop? Does he have any coming in? Let me go back and correct something you said. You talked about the useful life of the block and then used my number of 1.2 million miles. That is not the useful life. Well, that's life. on a Series 60. That, well, hold on. No, uh, I, no that's I, the Series 60. No, I'm trying to explain something. That is not the useful okay. life of a Series 60 block. What that number was, was just a number that I would do something with that engine. It would either need rebuilt at that point, or I just trade it in. The useful life of the block could be well past 2 million miles if everything is done right. We can rebuild, sometimes we can rebuild those two and three, maybe, probably not four, but three times could, could occur, two certainly, so I just wanted to clarify the useful life of the block is much longer, can be much longer than 1.2 million miles. Well, I guess to refine my statement then, you know, the useful life before a rebuild. Yeah, that's yeah. a different. We, we always figure when you get to the 2 million mile mark, then it's, it's time to uh, think about another block or, that... or at least an out of the chassis rebuild. Yeah. Right. Because my situation what is, I... go ahead. So what we're seeing, so when a guy's up the million eight, uh, two million mark on these older 60 series, um, so the deck surface is rough, which you can have some decks as long as they're, they will clean up within the spec. But a lot of it, um, what we're seeing is the, what we call the lower packing area. And that's the lower part of the block where the liner O-rings seal coolant from going into the engine is eroded. There's no repair for that. Uh, at, so at that point, then we have to go with the remat engine. So you know, when you're up in that two million mark, we're seeing these blocks just kind of pass their life cycle. Um, some guys go farther, and again, you know, maintain it. You keep good antifreeze in it. Was it ever overheated? There's a lot of variables in there. Uh, you know, but when you're up in that mileage, we would caution us: this in frame might turn into something else. We won't know until we get it apart. Right. So my my situation, again, getting back to the DD-15 as opposed to the Series 60, is I have one, and I don't know if I should keep it, uh, turn it into a toy hauler with a a, uh, fifth wheel. Um, You know, I don't know how long it would be expected to last before uh, you hit that period of time where you think it might need some some, uh, block work. Everything else with the truck runs fine. Uh, Got a new one box, got a new head. I'm just wondering how how much further could it go? Uh, that was kind of my. But you're not seeing. We, we don't know. That's what I keep asking. What's happening to these trucks? We should be getting to these kind of high mileage numbers now, and I don't hear about them being rebuilt. I, I just don't hear much about these high mileage either DD15s or Volvos. Nobody in frames Volvos right. that I can find. So I, I just wonder what's happening to these trucks, and I, I don't, I still don't know the answer. It's probably not that they're staying on the road, is what we're suggesting. Most DD15s, they just do an engine swap. So when it's 
the millions plus that need to rebuild, um, they can simply put a free man in. Yeah, now now we have okay, to look at, it. is it worth it? it you know, because we're getting a new engine, but we're at a million plus on all the other components, and everything about these trucks is expensive. Like you said, Pete, that engine swap might be 50000 now. Right, you can find better deals right, ready to go. Right. So it it, just seems like we're now when used trucks were so outrageously expensive a year or two ago, then it maybe made sense to spend 50 grand. But now that used trucks are getting cheap again, I don't know what we're going to do with these things. Okay. You know, when we we pick a new truck and we put the fleet air filter in it and you keep it maintained and you keep that silicon down between three and six or three and seven and you keep the max mileage catalyst in it. Uh, when people are going in just to set the overhead mechanics are saying, my God, this engine's spotless inside. So by burning 70% more of the soot and carbon and keeping the silicon down, there's nothing inside there to wear it out. And if that's so, the- we've had the catalyst for five years now. So, in, in, in another five years, we may be talking that these rebuilds are eliminated. And if that's the case, maybe we're going to see two million miles out of these engines. Yeah, and let's just think about this. Let's say that we know they're good for one point five. Even well, for most owner operators, yeah. that's ten plus years of owning that truck without an in frame. You're going to have other expenses and the one box is always an issue, but Mm -hmm. to be able to own a truck without doing major engine work for 10 plus years, how much more would we expect out of them? That's a bargain. That's right. Well, all right. Look at today's cars. A lot of people are in the 300,000 mile range, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. All right. You don't trade a car in at 50,000 miles today. No. No, you sure don't. All right, let's go to Kentucky this time. Jerry, welcome to the program. Oh, gentlemen, a quick question for Leroy uh, about an ECM, Leroy. I always expect the worst. I had a, uh, and I've had an ongoing issue, but I, I think on this particular problem, we got it solved. But driving down the road, I always expected the worst. I had an engine fan that stayed on. What it ended up being was the intake air temperature sensor was bad and the wire was bad. It had burnt the wire or burnt the terminal right at the sensor. However, driving down the road, I had myself convinced that it was probably going to be an ECM. So my question is this. Can I, like a remote turner, tuner, can they copy my ECM file and just kind of give it to me on a memory stick or something that I can keep in case I ever do have an ECM go bad because it's got a tune in it. And I kind of hate just to stick another ECM on it. Is that something you can just, it's easy just to copy the ECM file or how do we, how do we reserve that in for emergency use? Well, so the, the file part of it, um, I mean, there's, there's multiple sort of aspects to it. The one is sort of the part that's tailored to you, like your input output, configuration, your rear end ratio, your tire size, that part is for you. And yeah, we can give you a copy of that part, but the actual tune part, um, we don't put it 
we don't typically give that to to people um, just because it's uh, keeping our intellectual property. Because if we gave you a tune, then you could put it on the internet and sell it. Da, 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 da. We've had bad experiences with that in the past. So yeah, we just don't give out any sort of tunes. But I mean, if you just okay. wanted like the the stock file for your truck and your configuration, we can give that to you. Okay. Even though okay, then could you could you copy it and? keep it in, in house then so that I don't I mean I wouldn't be smart enough to put it on the internet. I mean you're talking to a dumbass so I wouldn't be we do on we the internet. Everyone. So you've already yeah, got it all filed. Yeah we have it we have what was stock in your truck and we have what we did to it. We have copies of that. No matter how long ago it's been. Yeah I would say I can generally find ninety percent of people's files, maybe ninety, ninety five percent. Um oh, okay. it's like right. if it was they don't work here anymore then sometimes things get lost or if they're really old they can get lost on a hard drive somewhere but i mean those, those <laughs> we're, talking, we're talking about are eight, 10 years old so yeah we're talking probably 13 or 14 years old so that's what was well we probably was. actually have something better now we probably have the yeah. thing you have a better we probably oh, I, I mad. i mean it's it's your tune it was your tune but i don't want to get into too deep of why it was tuned so um, so it's your tune, but we I didn't know. know whether you'd still have it on file. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get too specific. So. <laughs> right. Yeah, you don't have to. So I didn't know whether you kept them tunes or not, and that's why I was wondering if I needed to get a copy of it somehow, just in case I ever do have an ECM go bad. I always look for the worst right. case scenario. And yeah. you, If you're out of town and you need to get an ECM put in your truck, you just get to one of our remote tuners and it'll all be put right back in. All right. Well, that's answered that. I appreciate the time. And thank you so much. Well, You're welcome. Thanks you for bet. the call. Hey, Kevin. Yes. God, we haven't talked about manifolds, turbos, dampers, balancers, uh, mufflers, gear, our uh, impression ratios, injector flows, all those things we talked about years ago. We're not talking about that stuff anymore. Less and less. Less and less. Things are changing. There's yeah. no doubt. It's, um, sure, yeah. Let's go to Arkansas. Hey, Kevin. Let, go ahead, Pete. Hey, hey Kevin. Uh, so one of my dealers, uh, Brad Richmond from Canada, uh, bought a DD-16 engine. Um, it was 73000 Canadian. Okay. We were just talking to Brad about that the other day. I think he was on the Twitter space. We were talking about that. Not the engine price, though. Just his truck and his engine. So 70. Now, is that that is that installed? He just said I, I bought a new DD16 to be installed August 1st. It was seventy-three thousand. I'm sure it was just the engine. Ooh. I don't know what the exchange yeah. rate Ooh. is at this point. Man, that'd be fifty-five thousand. So that's sixty-five. Fifty grand for these and, engines. So and so at sixty-five with the exchange rate, I can't imagine what the labor is going to be. The, the, I, I, changing an engine on these modern trucks has got to be difficult. It's a lot of work. Yeah, a lot more labor. It looks one. like a lot yeah, and, of labor. Um, so, you know, the difference between an in-frame and out-of-frame, besides what's done to it, price is a big difference. Right. It, it has been in the past. But on the D platform, an in-frame is pretty darn expensive. Yeah. So I, I think that's why a lot of people are simply thrown, because it's not cost-effective anymore to in-frame yeah, I imagine, and that I would think a big part of that is the complexity under the hood and all the labor time because of that. Mm-hmm. You know, it, think about how easy yeah, think about how easy it was to do an in frame on a mechanical engine in a classic 
right? I mean, you got all kinds of room. You get in there, zip, 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 you're in, you're out in no time. Now think about how tight things are under the hood, how many new systems are on top of that engine. All It's just kind of mind-boggling the difference. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, things are changing, no doubt. I, you know, I think, glad I'm not a mechanic anymore having to work in the new truck. <laughs> I know, yeah. W9s, the classics, you know, a lot of the customers had that with the big cams, the N14s. So simple. Uh, the earlier ISXs, you could just right. Yeah, so simple. Um, all right, Larry, you're up. Hey, hey, how y'all doing? Good. What's on your mind today? Oh, I heard y'all talk about them guys, talk about them four travels. I've, I've owned three of them. Uh, I bought my first one in 94. New one is a Grand Villa, and they built three at that time, a Grand Villa 270 and a 320. And all of them was different because some had aqua height. Some was 36 foot, some was 40 foot. And then when they went to the uh, front door coach, to the mid door coach, I bought a 96. And the 94 had a four, 300 Cummins in it. Got good fuel mileage, run great. When I got to 96, it had a cat in it. I believe they called it a 34, 3406, maybe, or right. whatever. It was a C12, what it was. I believe they come out with C12 96, didn't it? Uh, should have been somewhere around there. C12 was an awesome engine. I'm, I don't know why we didn't use more of them in trucking. Yeah, I think four travel would just put them in whatever they could get to motor farm at that time, you know. Do you yeah. still have a coach with the C12? No, I bought one with the, when they built the slide. I bought a new one in uh, 01, and it had the slide on the kitchen and the left side of the coach, coach driver's side. Kitchen and living room slide on it, and uh, mm-hmm. I've still got it. I love it. What engine's in that one? It's got, a, full, it's got a 450 Cummins. Okay. I think the they ISL. call it IXM. IXM. I think it's ISL. Or an ISL. One of the two. IXL. Okay. Not, not X, yeah. S. Yeah. ISL or ISM. Okay. We All have right. tunes for those, too, by the way. Well, I don't know what I need it tuned. Probably sure. does. It? I've got 180000 on it. Everybody needs a tune. Uh, so you're using your coach. You're using yeah. coach. Hey, hey, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah I use that, it a lot. That's an 01. I've got more miles than that on my 07. Oh, you do? <laughs> yeah, I use mine a lot. Well, I still that's, work a little bit. Yeah, that's true. My, my, what, usually when I'm in my coach, I'm working, but it's just different work. But, yeah, I'm coming up on 200,000 on my 07. Yeah, I still drive this Fitzgerald kit that I called you about a couple months ago. Up, I bought up in Tennessee. Yeah. Now that, like I said, in the parking lot. If I ever upgrade the coach, it will probably be a four travel. I really like them. You know, I love them, but they don't got it too expensive for me. Well, they all are. I mean, prices are just stupid nowadays. Really. Um, I'm going to give you guys a four travel story. There was a guy from the Akron, Ohio area, retired United Airlines pilot. Name was Hawk. Hockey, I was. I think his nickname, but um, he wasn't a real big guy. But he loved to work out, 
and he had to four travel and he would put a pipe across. This was without slides. He'd open the cabinet doors and put a pipe in there and he had a rope coming down and he'd sit on the floor of the coach, put his legs straight out and do pull-ups, climb it up and down the rope. <laughs> and people would say, aren't you afraid of pulling those cupboards down? He said, not in the four travel. And so it was a 8.3 with a 300 and I set it up to four and a quarter for him and we're going down this two-lane road, and you know, they had, I think they have two airbags on each side of the front steer axle. So there's four airbags, and he, they have a quick-reacting air valve. And we're going 65, 70 mile an hour, and he decides to go left. Now, there, it was a Y in the road, and, man, I'm hanging on thinking this coach is going over. And that four travel just turned right there, and I... I look over him. I said, are you crazy? He said, no, nah, the airbags work really fast and easy to keep the coach level. I was impressed. Yeah, I, I've uh, changed all my bags. I got eight bags on it. And uh, I've changed them last year. Put new shocks on it, new brakes. And uh, I'll tell you, this little old 450 does a good job. Uh, fuel mileage-wise, it'll get about seven, eight pulling a car mm-hmm. probably eight in the summertime pulling a car when you're not running generator you know you're doing a yeah. whole lot better than my c13 then i struggle to get six not pulling anything when i pull my car hauler i end up at about four and a half or five let's put a c12 in it i would love to have a c12 in there i would absolutely love that <laughs> yeah Hey, find Kevin a C12. Let's get that coach back in for a couple more months. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And, and, you know, these things are. Hey, I'll make you guys a deal. Hey, Leroy, you still with us? I haven't heard from you in a while. Yeah. So. I'm, I'm here. You know, I, I let you kind of go crazy on mine and turn it way up and it runs amazing. But it's also a, you know how old is that thing now? A 16 year old C13. So I am going to detune it just so I can drive it again. Uh, but I'll make this deal. If we build a C12 from the ground up, you can do anything you want to it and I'll be okay. Cause then I'd trust it. If we build it from the ground up and it's all new, I would trust it. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I, I, I just, I'm a little worried about mine right now. I think it's a little on the hot side. Yeah, probably. I think we're behind a little. Well, to be fair, to be fair, we had a conversation and you said, I don't care. I did. I, this I, is I, a toy. I did. I said, it, it, let's just have fun with it. Give me what, give me everything you can. And, and you kind of did. And then I realized how hard it is to drive it. <laughs> yes. I'm going to leave mine alone. It's doing pretty good. And I don't drive over 65. Now, Save sometime. Now, I will say, here's the interesting thing. I told you, don't worry about fuel economy. Just give me all the power you can. Have fun with it. And guess what? I got better fuel economy. It went up about, <laughs> a, about a solid half mile per gallon, which was one of the first times it really moved I, much at all. Uh, I'm, I'm shocked and impressed. <laughs> well, um, I'll give you the credit for the awesome tune, but I think I might have to take credit for the fuel economy. I'm the one driving it. Yeah, I, I think that's it. <laughs> you don't usually do 700 horsepower. Somebody's like, yeah, I picked up a half a mile a gallon. I did, though. That's pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah. 
impressed for you, not for me. I'm impressed for you. <laughs> it means you're a good yeah. driver. Yeah. Well, actually, what it means is I'm worried about blowing the head off, so I'm babying it. <laughs> well, yeah, I think we should turn it down. And there's some other things I'd want to do that. Uh, yeah. He just he just needs soft pedal a little more. Oh yeah. Yeah, do a little soft yeah. peddling. That's right. All right. Well, good. Re- <laughs> you good, say never- good. Good report on the four travels. I, I, like I said, that would be my next choice if I ever decide to upgrade. I, I would buy another country coach if they still made them. The the newest I can get is twenty ten, and it's just not enough to upgrade. Um, so I'd probably look at a newer four travel. Let's go to Idaho. Mark, welcome to the program. Hey guys, hope everybody's doing well today. Um, uh, it's an easy one, but uh, 2016 ISX, and I changed my oil yesterday. Well, two days ago, finished it up yesterday because I was doing some maintenance. And I have changed it many, many times, but I had a brain fart, and I, I'm pretty sure it's 12 and a half gallons. I got OPS on there, and then my filters, I changed both filters, and um. I, uh, I don't know why, but I, I just looked up online. I was like, how many gallons, just to confirm on my mind. And uh, it said 14. So I put, because of my extra oil, I put like 14 and a half gallons in there. Is I do have a couple of leaks. I have a rear main that's leaking. And then the back case between the bell housing and the back of the, the block, that aluminum uh, space or whatever it is, the back of the block there. That I got some leaks, so... Um, is it going to, is that considerably too much oil to run at all in there or will I be, yeah, I think <laughs> that's the only capacity. Yeah. It sounds way like beyond that. Yeah. And, and the OPS might, yeah, I'm having a hard time. A couple people were talking. So that's way too much oil. I believe the ISX is take 11 gallons and the OPS would be maybe two quarts. Maybe. Right. Take much oil. So the reason all three of us so were talking is because like, we all said that's way too much oil. Yeah, it is way too much. So I just uh, wanted to confirm and make sure I can, because uh, I'm actually, I was going to drive it over to the dealer and pick up one of those valves. I wouldn't. That I can uh, switch out. No? I wouldn't. I wouldn't start this thing okay. again. Really. Why, why take the chance? Uh, it's simple to drain some oil out of it. Yeah, it just could make quite the mess. It'll there. be a I, mess. I, I get it. Tried to it, my OPS a little bit, but it was. It'll take forever. All right. On the OPS, but I just yeah, it did. Pull the plug, make the mess. You know, whatever it takes. I don't. Has anybody ever tried siphoning oil out with like a vampire tube? You could. We have. If you um, if, when you drastically overfill an engine, you can blow the front and rear crank seal out. Yeah, I, I wouldn't run this thing. I really wouldn't. I think it's too much of a risk. Okay. All right. Well, uh, you know, you, like you might want to get a, a flex. Was... You might want to get a flexible piece of tubing. You can get down and see if you can siphon it out. Might work. I don't see why it wouldn't. Yeah, it's pretty small. Out of the, out of your uh, dipstick. No, uh, out of well, I I don't know if if I can feed it in through the oil fill if there's too I don't know the internals of the engine. So yeah, I, don't know we, I would try there. I mean, it can't hurt to try. Have you, have you started the engine? Yeah, I started it. You may want to just take off the line going to the OPS and put it in a bucket 
and let it idle, and it'll fill the bucket up pretty quick. Uh, you'll have I, no mess. Wait, what is the rate? It's like a gallon an hour. No, 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 no. Ooh, that's coming up. That's oh, what's coming out, that, not what's going that, in. That's right. That's the. That's right. That's um, restricted there. So you're right. You wouldn't the restrictors get restrictors right, on the on the filter yeah. itself. You're the right. Restrictors okay. on the out on the return. Yeah. Okay. So that's I, I people. Someone in the cab with the key, and someone holding the line with the uh, bucket, and you can have an idea how much coming is coming out. You know, you don't want to rely on having it come out and have to run back into the cab to shut it off. I think it'd be safer to have two people, someone manning sure. the, the key, so when you, yeah, you can shut it down quickly. I can see a big mess happening. <laughs> I do it myself. Yeah. The, so, okay, well, just want to confirm. Uh, yeah, thank you for that. So, I will handle that pronto. There you go. That's it, guys. I, so, so what, there's Thanks. there's a lesson here. Yeah. The internet Don't isn't always the, right. That's that's a true <laughs> statement there. So I, I I don't know, man. I had too much on my mind, and I no, just, I uh, get it. it. We've all been. I'm there. I'm pretty sure I always put twelve gallons in it. I know I said twelve and a half, but pretty sure I always put twelve. 12 sounds I, right. I don't know why. I think that twelve that puts me yeah. just around my just up by the double dots. I think past the the um, knurling it, on the on the um, dipstick, but. Yeah, 12 should be just about anyway. right. Like Pete said, it's probably 11 in the sump, another two quarts for the OPS and some lines, and you'd be just about topped off. So 12 would do just fine. Not 14, though. That's a lot of extra oil. Let's go to Seattle. Scotty, welcome. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you today? Good. What's on your mind? Uh, programming. I have a 2004 uh, Kenworth T800H. Um, I have a Frankenstein cat motor in it that I've been R&Ding for the last almost 20 years. I've always been chasing the heat issue uh, with what I've done. I have a, uh, basically from the deck down is MSX with 16 to 1 compression distance and from the deck up is 6NZ with a 6NZ brain box. Uh, my question is, uh, can uh, Pittsburgh Power manipulate the tuning or check the tuning? Because what I've done is I've got the 6NZ programming, but I also have a bully dog, a tuner that I run at uh, power and economy. I don't go all the way to the top because it just runs way too hot for my liking. And I, I don't Hold on one second. Hold on. When you say hot, are we talking exhaust temp or are we talking colon temp? Uh, well... At one point, it was all the above, because with the exhaust temp comes water temp and oil temp and yada, 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 right? I've installed a huge rad, taken the ARPC condenser off the front, put it on the back of the cap so I can get better airflow. Um, and just as a, uh, a sidebar, I'm uh, 140,000 pounds all day, every day, plus. I go up to 210, but I'm anywhere from 140 to 300,000 pounds every day. Um I'm always like I'm 175,000 pounds per day, and I'm always, I'm sitting on a hard pole, a thousand degrees after turbo, and then you know I'd like to see that at 900. I'm an old school. 900 is, is the number there. 950. So where is your thermocouple? Uh, after the turbo. After the turbo. Right. And which turbine housing do you have on? The 132 or the 145? 
trying I'm trying to find a 145. I can't find one. I'm from Canada. I truck down in the U.S. here, but I'm 132 on here right now with an 80 mil pressure side. Mm-hmm. We have we have 145s. Okay. Uh, I was heard that they were for your, for your for your kind of weight. That's what you should have on there. The 145. Is it yeah. going to cool up like I'd like it to? Absolutely, because, you know, you, you know, here we go again. Everybody wants fast pull up, but you also want great power on a hill and you want to pull heavy weight and use a lot of power. So you, know, you, need, you don't want super fast pull up because you need a very strong mid range for what you're going to do. Yes. And, you know, my and, theory over the years with the power is the longer I sit on that hill, the more fuel I'm going to burn. That's right. So that's why you need the bigger turbine housing to get rid of the exhaust that you're developing. But, uh, uh, you know, I was wondering, like, do I have, a uh, like, the CAD ET on a laptop? Um, I'm able to change injector codes and what have you to, to the time of year and, you know, yeah, and that sort of stuff, right? I'm just wondering, is there something in there or that can be done or tweaked just a little bit? Because, you know, the, the, the bully dog is nice because I can keep track of my in my intake temperature. And, you know, that's crucial when, when you're pulling, right? If, you, if that intake temperature goes up too high, I think it's 163, uh, the fan comes on. And that's supposed to cool it down. Well, I, I mean, I turned the fan on earlier, and yes, with this huge rad and the, the, the charge air cooler that I have on there, I can get the temperature to come down. But, you know, I'm not always on point with it. Am I still here? I guess my thing is, yeah, my thing is, I'm not quite sure if you're going to be able to fix it with a tune. Uh, because if you think about, like, on a 2004, all the things that you can't control, um, the the biggest one, or pretty much the only primary thing, is is fuel and quantity. So how much fuel and when is the timing? And the mm-hmm. two things that are going to like uh, mostly the what gives you all your coolant temp uh, when it's really high is too much timing. But it's really you can roll that back a little bit, but that's only going to save you so much. Like you're, if you have an overheating issue, the tune can fix it a little bit but it's not going to like make it go away. And the same thing with exhaust temp. If you got a lot of exhaust temp, like the tune can maybe bring it down like 50, 70 degrees, but not really more than that. Um, Have you ever dynoed a truck to know how much horsepower you're making? No. Uh, my cat and I are higher than you think. Uh, sorry, you kind of cut out there. Try that one again. The horsepower might be a lot higher than what you think it is. Yeah, well, we're as between seven fifty and eight hundred. Yeah, I mean, other than you throwing in a dyno, you really don't know. Yeah, right. You know, I get close, but I get forty pounds of boost on a good day, and based on what I've heard listening to the show and what uh, what was said, I was like seven fifty. So that was an eighteen eighteen horsepower per pound of boost or something like that. I think it's 16, but, and again, we're off. So the problem with that is you have kind of a Frankenstein engine. So I'm not sure how accurate that statement's going to be. Right. Because you made changes that aren't normal. So that's yeah. why I, I would put the truck in a diet. If you're 850, I mean, cut it back and it's going to bring temperatures down. And, and when you say everything is high, like how, how high does your coolant temp go? Well, I can manage it. I, I just have to pedal it. And, uh, 
you know, I can get the coolest. I can, I can do, I can boil it if I had to, not if I had to, but you know, if I wasn't standing, I can boil it. So the, the fan goes on at the bottom of the hill and then you watch the pyro and the pyro is around 950 and then I'm pedaling, right? So what, what, what's the highest coolant temperature you've seen? Well, on an average, it's usually, well, I don't like it going any higher than about... Uh, no, I, th- I specifically ask, what's the highest? I want an, I don't want an average, and I don't want you managing it. If you just took what, off and what? tried to go up a hill the way most people drive a truck up the hill, foot to the floor, shift when you have to, what would happen to your truck? What coolant temperature would we see if you attempted that? If I didn't watch it, I could boil it. Well, wait a minute. You, you shouldn't be able to boil coolant. Water boils at 212. We have a huge problem if that's what we're talking about. With coolant, I don't know what the boiling temperature is. I don't care. I want to know what your number, what is the number we're seeing? Okay, it's the highest on 216. The fan comes on at 216 and then it comes back down again. Okay, so it will manage itself at, at, at 216 or under. Right. But by that, my and pyro then, is up there at 1100. Is that on is the that hot 1100 side? 1100 in the downpipe, right? 1100 after turbo. Okay. That, I, 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 and, me, um, you know, I, this is sounding about what you would expect. I mean, if this thing is that hot, we think possibly approaching 800 horsepower, uh, those numbers aren't out of line. And I'm with Pete. Put it okay. on a dyno and turn it down well, some. Yeah, the, 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 the issue with me and where I live is dinos aren't very prevalent. Okay, then just and turn it down. The, don't even bother. Do, don't bother to dino it then. It's too hot. You're having a hard time. It's kind of like, like my situation. I took it out. I drove it. It's really hot. I can manage it if I want to, but that's really hard. And I don't want to have to manage it all day long. So I'm just going to turn it down. And I'm not going to put mine on a dyno. We're not We're not sure what mine has, but I, I. we know we can turn it down. So don't put yours on a dyno. Just turn it down. It's too hot. So I got a question. What engine? I had to step away. What engine are we talking about? It's a C15, but it started out well. It's a longer story than what you probably want to listen to. But it, right now it's an MSS bottom uh, from the deck down, and it's a six-inch from the deck up. Oh, and this you're the same person that we've been talking to. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And, and what are you trying to cool down now? The exhaust temp? Uh, everything. Well, the, the exhaust, you, you said you had this big radiator, so the exhaust temp, by going to that larger turbine housing, is going to cool down. Okay. When your yeah, turbine housing is too small, it makes the exhaust too hot, keeps too much exhaust in the engine. So the 145 housing is going to call, they're going to curtail that, and your coolant temp, if you still have coolant temp, you're going to get rid of some temperature with the housing. Uh, put the auxiliary coolant tank on like we talk about. Buy the air tank and put it back in beside the transmission. Come off the right rear of your block of your caterpillar and then go right. It's nice uh, to have the horsepower because it's really, it's enjoyable to drive and it's fun to watch yeah. going by the I'm other side. A smaller load. I wonder what the hell just happened to their truck. I'm telling you what you can do to have it. And to keep it cool, you know, you just have to add another five gallon of coolant to the system and change the turbine nozzle, and, and uh, your problems will be over.
And put the thermocouple in the exhaust manifold so we can get a true reading. Put it in front of number four. Do you have our ordered and ceramic coated manifold on it? Uh, well, I have a new exhaust manifold on it, but I didn't go with the ceramic coated. I just went with a, a regular. It's a PDI one. I do have your damper on here, though. So. You got a PDI manifold on? Exhaust manifold, yeah. Yeah, that's one of your problems because they don't flow as much. You're restricting the flow in the manifold by 20%. Okay. To put our manifold on it, we'll drill and tap it in front of number four cylinder for you. When you order the manifold, ask for that and get the 145 housing and put the air tank on and hook it up to the cooling system. Caterpillar is really easy to do it on, and uh, that'll get rid of your cooling temperature and your exhaust temperature. Right. Okay. There you go. Okay. All right. Call us back in two weeks and let us know how it is. All right. Good stuff. Let's go to Illinois. Scott, welcome to the program. Kevin, real quick. Kevin? Yes. Go ahead, Pete. Can I butt in real quick? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So on uh, the, uh, I, I looked up the uh, 2015 ISX zero number and uh, oil and filters 11.5 gallons. That perfect. Kevin, yeah. you're pretty smart on that. That's exactly what you said, 11 and a half. Yeah, but I was copying off Pete. Pete said it first. I was copying off his test. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> that was good, Pete. Thank you. Yeah. All right, Scott, go ahead. Okay. I, my call is regarding exactly what you were just talking about, the oil capacity. I've got a 14 ISX and... I had to have the oil pan replaced because it was rusting between the paint and the metal and started dripping oil. Anyway, I replaced the oil pan, and the next oil change uh, that I done, it took 14 gallons to fill it up. Before, it was 12 gallons. So the only thing I can come up, and I never talked to the, the people that replaced the oil pan, but I'm thinking they could have bigger oil pans. Well, I think it's the same thing. So why didn't you, why didn't you call them and ask them? Well, and I didn't think, I figured my first thing, I thought the more oil, the, the better, but the more capacity. Yeah, I agree. I agree, but let's make sure there is a bigger oil pan. Uh-huh. Yeah, I just assumed, if, you know, that there was, and that's what they put yeah. on. But, yeah, it might be good yeah, for me to maybe dig into it and find out that so, it went from 12 gallons, or ever since I've owned it, to 14 gallons when I change oil next time after they change oil pan. So, when so you, how long ago did you do this? Uh, it's been about a year and a half ago. Oh, so they still won't have that oil pan. I was going to say go back and get the part number off your oil pan and compare it to the part number on the one you have. If you call a Cummins dealer and give them the two numbers, they'll tell you how many quarts or how many gallon that particular pan holds. Okay, so there's a part number on the oil pan. Is it stamped in Correct. there? It's, your, well, it's cast right, in there. Uh, you were talking. Say that again, Pete. Uh, so your um, invoice should have the part number for the new pan, and then um, they can look up your engine serial number to see what's supposed to be on there and see if the two numbers uh, match. Yeah. Okay. Well, I heard you talking about it. So, well, I didn't. So when so. when they installed that new pan, was this done at a shop? Yes. And then did they put the proper amount yep, of oil back in? It was a record. Say that again. 
Did they put the proper amount of oil in when they did this? It was it was full when I um, when I checked it after I went and picked it up. I checked it; it was full. Okay, it, you know the last caller. Right? If we put too much in, it should be pretty obvious. It's going to see on the stick. We either didn't put enough or we put too much. Right. Every every once in a while, I find a truck that went into a shop at some point and somebody put the wrong stick back in. We've had that problem, too. The wrong yeah. dipstick yeah. is put in and you get incorrect oil levels. Pete, you want to tell them how on the big cams we would determine when we had to put a new stick in, how we did it? So it's, it's pretty simple. When we would fill up the oil, you know, we drain the oil, we would look at the pan part number Cummins has a chart uh, for the old big cams and then 14s and it, it would tell us if you have this part number oil pan you'd put say seven and a half gallons in and then mark your low mark and then you would put another gallon and a half in mark your high mark and that was your capacity for that oil pan okay and then fire the truck up let the filter the oil um top it off from there then got it so you um indicate a, a, a dipstick that makes sense. Yeah. All right, Scott, anything else? Okay. Uh, not right present time. No, I think, yeah. I just, it was more of a uh, information just to let you know what I had because you were talking 14 too much, and that's what I've been running. So, so there's a, there's I need a, to find out if that's actually what I got. So it turns out maybe the internet wasn't wrong. We just didn't have enough information because now this makes sense. You could take a certain engine build, just put a different oil pan on it. You're going to end up with a different capacity. And Pete, that's what you talked about. If you're doing that from scratch, there's a formula. You can get it all right. Uh, so 14 wasn't necessarily wrong. It was just wrong for his engine because of his oil pan. All right. Yeah. Good now you got me one. All right. We, uh, we're going to wrap this up for today. Anything uh, anybody wants to close with? Nice to get some engine no. questions. <laughs> it was a strange day for the power hour. That's for sure. Well, it sure was. Yeah. All right. Well, we will do it again next week. I will be back tomorrow. Do I have a guest tomorrow? I can't remember. Um, I don't know if I have a guest or not. We'll see. We'll also be doing uh, Twitter spaces this week, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So we will see you back here tomorrow. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.